Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Greetings and welcome back to another exciting installment of the Fifth Column Podcast. This is your weekly rhetorical assault on the news cycle, the people that make it, and occasionally ourselves. I'm Camille Foster, and I, there's a lot going on. I'm, I'm, I'm moving. I'm in the midst of it. Most of my possessions are on a truck someplace in America, in making their way to my, <laughs> my new home, which I, I believe it's been reported that it's in D.C. This is not technically true. And guess what? I'm not disclosing where my home is because I don't want you coming to look for me. You don't need to find me. I do various things at Freethink when I'm not moving. Um, I also do other things in other contexts. But today, I'm here repping the fifth. I'm delighted mm-hmm. to be here. And I'm joined I'm joined by the, the fine gentleman of the fifth, my pips. And I wouldn't have it any other way. No two gentlemen are better qualified to be my pips than Michael Moynihan of Vice News. You, I'm, I'm your Gladys Knight. It's fine. It's fuck? fine. Matt Man. Welch, Reason Magazine, editor at large. Ike Turner. <laughs> <laughs> Eat the cake, anime. Um, well, gentlemen, I missed you last week. Uh, I'm yeah. especially especially sad to discover that uh, one of my, my favorite people, Hammer Time, was here yeah. with you last week. She was. Um, yes. But it sounds like y'all had a, a good a, a good enough time without me, yes, um, which is the only drunk. thing that matters, so I suppose. Drunk. Oof, it was rough. So we'll somebody have to, did we'll send have to an email at some point. Well, somebody, um, well, I'm, I'm in a drinking martinis right now, which is a bad idea. Somebody did send an email that was like, it was a great, it was a great show. It got a little incoherent by the end. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's fair did enough. Did not make any That's sense. A good show. Fair enough. I was <laughs> yeah. at, I was at yeah. a, a gathering, a lovely ga- gathering in North Beach in San Francisco with uh, 20 of our favorite fifth column listeners um, last night. And also uh, two of the dudes from Substack were there, uh, Hamish and, uh, and Chris. And uh, and our friend Ethan Strauss, House Strauss, was in, in the house. It was just a really great time. And uh, we were talking, uh, and I was asking some of the ladies there what they thought about Mary Catherine um, and, uh, and some other uh, issues as well. And they liked it a lot. And one of them said, but um, I think that maybe uh, uh, Michael uh, had, uh, uh, you know, he was... Uh, somehow was uh, like uh, uh, triggered by her or like was uh, was you know felt nervous and and, and had to over talk a little bit or was it was getting loud i'm like no dude that that's his only drunk tell is that he gets <laughs> he yeah, was absolutely true. wasted and <laughs> shouting you know, I've said this. I've said um, before we get to our amazing guest who's joining yeah, us and is like yeah, sitting going like sorry, guess, please shut the fuck up. Um, I, I will point this out i might have pointed out in the past I do have a superpower, which is also not a superpower. Mm-hmm. It is that no one can tell when I'm extremely, extremely intoxicated. And that is, there's some Irish gene in there. But the problem with this is you do still behave like a drunk person. You just don't sound like it. So the next day when you say, oh, I'm sorry, I was really drunk. They're like, no, you weren't. I'm like, no, no, I really yeah. was. Like, no, you absolutely weren't. You just are a really bad human. So that's one of the drawbacks of it. But, um, but if anyone would like to do up. one of my courses yeah. when I teach them how to drink uh, and not not and not show, um, it's about uh, uh, six ETH. I don't know. I don't even know how much that is now. <laughs> it's, uh, but uh, but yeah. So we we had a great show. It was really fun. It was good to see Mary Catherine. And um, and we're back. And for all of those out there wondering what was happening, Camille moves all the time. Um, and so we have to sustain <laughs> and only some cross of this. country. I don't do only, I don't do like yes. small moves. No, it's no, only it's cross not country. Like, you, yeah. You're not going to Atherton 
from <laughs> Tiburon, these posh places that you live. You I'm know. still I'm still in Tiburon at the moment. Actually, this will this will be formally, I suspect, but perhaps forever, the the last recording of Camille Foster during his his interregnum in San Francisco. Yeah. His California uh, interregnum. So, uh, I'm, I'm, I was happy really to make Robert the trip. Ludlum book. I, I did my best. <laughs> I did California my best. <laughs> <laughs> I did my best to improve the state of things here, and we can talk a little bit about what what Matt Welch has been doing on the ground. Um, and yes, I do take full credit for the successful recall. Um, but before we get into those things, and maybe we won't get into them at all, we'll see what happens. I do want to introduce our guest, as Moynihan alluded to. He's he's been sitting here patiently. He's oh a very God. important man. Not patiently. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Over here. Yeah. We, we'd like to introduce yeah, back for his protest. second tour on the fifth column, Dr. Jeffrey Sachs of Acadia University. Uh, he's a, a professor in the Department of Political Science, but he's also um, a researcher uh, with PEN America, the, the legendary PEN America, noted, um, celebrated, decorated uh, civil liberties defending organization. Um, and he recently published um, some research there um, about the steep rise in gag orders, um, which are also often sloppily drafted. Um, and that's kind of the title of the thing. So Jeff Sachs, thank you so much for joining us again. Uh, I, I'm desperate to talk to you about the current situation in the US with a lot of the CRT bans and where those things stand, um, the way that they're changing, and the various new topics that are coming um, under scrutiny as a result of these legislative efforts, like the the don't say gay uh, legislation, as I think critics are are calling it as right. a, an act of derision. Um, but perhaps we could talk about that. But I'd also love to talk to you because you are in Canada about the situation with these truckers, um, the mess that that is making of things for the average Canadian, but also the the very very muscular. Um, and in some respects, increasingly disconcerting response of the federal government in Canada. Um, and I suspect you have perspectives on all of these things. Um, so thanks so much for uh, for joining us again. Yeah, I mean, uninformed, you know, ludicrous perspectives. But I'm just going to spew them at you anyway, because you Jeff, have what do you here. think this podcast is? <laughs> Michael says, bring in the cocktail to his lips. Bring a cocktail to my mouth. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, yeah, well, no, I'm happy to be here. It's it's really my pleasure. Uh, I don't I don't you know, get a chance to talk to you guys often. So this is really uh, great for me. And uh, yeah, we can talk about whatever you want, those topics, anything else. But, um, you know, you're right. This, this, you know, just to start off this bill that you're just describing, uh, Kamel, in, um, in Florida, the Don't Say Gay Bill. This is, this is a crazy bill. And, uh, you know, people are right to be concerned about it. I think it's getting lots of press now and, and people are right to be alarmed. Well, maybe, maybe we can start by talking about what this bill actually is. I imagine it has okay. a name that is not Don't Say Gay. Yeah, that's not the name that supporters would give it. It's Absolutely. Don't Be Gay is the actual yeah. right. name of the bill. So, so listeners can look it up. It's, uh, it's HB 1557. And I don't think it has that's not any sexy. formal... No, it's not. No, but trust journalists to, to sexify one up for them. Gay sexify it, yeah. <laughs> and it's, uh, you know, it's... This is this bill is like it's of a piece with now just about 160 other bills that have come out in the last uh, year and a half or just over a year now um, that are broadly falling under this kind of, quote, anti-critical race theory banner. OK, so this bill is one of those types, only it's a bit different 
from some of the others. Uh, and we can talk about how it's different, but let me just tell you what it does first. So it applies to K through 12 public schools in the state of Florida, and it would prohibit them, uh, prohibit a school from uh, encouraging conversation in the classroom about certain topics. Specifically, what it says is, a school district may not encourage classroom discussion about sexual orientation or gender identity in primary grade levels or in a manner that is not age appropriate or developmentally appropriate for students. So oh. just to break that down, there's kind of these two pieces there, right? First of all, for grade school levels, no encouragement of any conversation about gender identity or sexual orientation. You can discuss those topics in secondary levels, but uh, only if it's done in this age appropriate way. It might sound kind of harmless at first, but there's some real kind of traps and pitfalls. The in primary too. thing, that's what I'm interested in in a way, because I mean, you said K through 12 and, you know, some of these things I'd read the bill tonight, which was um, largely incoherent and, of course, squishy and just horrible writing, too. There was like repeated words and sentences and I was getting annoyed as like an editor. But, you know, one of the things <laughs> that's strange about it is they say, OK, well, how could you object to this because right. it's primary and you shouldn't be talking to kids in fourth grade about, you know, trans people or gay this or gay. OK, but it goes further than that, you say. And so when you are in middle school, high school, what does that actually prohibit? I mean, if there's a book and there's a character in that book who is gay and that is a, you know, mention in the book, a part of the person's identity in the book, that cannot be discussed or it can't be discussed in a certain way because there is that squishy uh, phrase age appropriate, which is not a legal term. So who and, decides and what that is? Definitely. And, he, and also equally, maybe even more squishy is this term encourage. Yeah. What does encourage mean? So, you know, the way the bill is written and the way it's been described by proponents is, well, if a student brings an issue up in classroom, that's fine. You can have a conversation about it. That's what some of the defenders of the bill say. But it does mean, presumably, encouraging would capture a teacher bring it up on their own. It might mean if a teacher assigns a book that has content related to gender and sexuality, that could constitute encouraging it. So you have to ask yourself, at what point can a teacher actually respond to a student mm -hmm. or raise the issue themselves? How can they raise it? This is really ambiguous language here. I don't know what encouragement means, but if you guys do, you got to fill me in here because this it's the kind of bill that's ripe for abuse. Yeah. The um, uh, our elementary school that our oldest daughter went to and the youngest one used to go to and we pulled her out. Um, but they have uh, a, a, a pride club. It's not really called pride club, it's, but it, it's a pride club, basically, um, from kindergarten <laughs> on uh, on campus. And it's uh, um, uh, and there are uh, they're one of their big projects at the end of the year. And they saw it on the chain link fence over the summer was to do a, uh, to make a, a sort of a, a slogan and a poster talking about why uh, either or uh, uh, Black Lives Matter or um, that it's that uh, gay rights or human rights or uh, trans rights or human rights. And it was, it was an assignment for sure. So that sounds like both of those things would probably come into being illegal in Florida if that is passed. Right. Yeah. I mean, that, it, it sounds to me like that would constitute a kind of encouraging to give somebody an assignment where they have to you know, produce that kind of a viewpoint. Um, but I mean, there's there's all kinds of other hard cases. Can let's say you've got a gay teacher. Can a gay teacher talk about their family? Right. If if, uh, you know, there is uh, if can they have a picture on their desk of their spouse? Um, 
if that's the kind of thing that might be viewed as encouraging conversation about one of these forbidden topics. Um, what happens if, uh, you know, there's an important event in the school? What happens if something happens in kids' lives? Can a teacher address it? Or what happens, you know, where do you draw the line between responding to the needs and giving these kids like a fulsome and accurate picture of the world versus promoting or encouraging a certain kind of viewpoint. One, this I is mean, where we're going to see the pushback. Imagine the act of, uh, of asking for pronouns. Is that in itself an encouragement? Um, you know, and I say this is someone who I think that the Brooklyn schools that my kids go to are have gone like overboard the first day of math class in middle school for my then sixth grader uh, before they got into the math stuff was they sat around and talked about pronouns. It's like it's math class. Well, we talking about pronouns, but I'm an, an old fuddy duddy. So this is not really for me. Um, but the, the interpretation of the law, I, I could totally read into that saying like, is that, is that nope, what you call being a transfer of Matt, an old fuddy duddy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. Um, Jeff, can I can I do something here and play a play a um, devil's advocate? Yeah, because I, I mean I'm on your side on this one. I, I I think this is a fairly clear. You made the right call. There. I, play, I play on everything else. I think you're a psycho, but this right. one you're absolutely right on. But let me let me put their argument to you. I'd like to hear your response to it yeah. because you know there's a poll today, and I sent it around to the lads, and it was um, linked on Drudge Report and all these places, and it was about the number of people who are identifying as LGBTQ. And that number has gone up quite a bit. And when you break it down by generation, it's like the Gen Z, it was 21% versus everybody else's like two, 3%. I imagine, and I'm just gonna make their argument for them. I imagine this is people saying, look, this is an ideology that is being pushed all the time. It's we're talking about there's no gender, this, that, and the other. Do you believe that if these things were kind of more finely tuned in less saying like, what makes you feel bad? What makes you this? Would that be either sort of, you know, unconstitutional or something you'd oppose? Do you see where they're coming from in some sense? Um, because it's always done in this real kind of machine gun way. They just kind of shoot everything up. Is there a point on their side that the introduction of all of these conversations is probably not appropriate for kids that are in fourth grade? All right. So look, there's, there's a category of bill that I don't object to on its face. Yeah. And that's a category of bill that forbids teachers from compelling students to adopt or affirm certain kind of beliefs. Yeah. So I'm tracking these bills for Penn. There's about, like I said, 160 of them now. Maybe a third of them, maybe a bit more, are that kind of bill. And insofar as, as they forbid teachers from compelling certain kinds of beliefs, that's just standard first American jurisprudence on the First Amendment, right? Mm -hmm. There's nothing inappropriate about a bill that says you can't make a student adopt a certain belief. So that's but even that's hard to quantify, isn't it? I mean, if you're saying in a classroom that something is correct, like my view uh -huh. of this historical event is correct, yours is wrong. Is that compelling somebody or is that just saying that, you know, I have this belief, you can have yours, but I believe you to be wrong. I mean, that's kind so, of a weird thing, right? It is. So, I mean, the, 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 the big, the, the important Supreme Court decision on that is, uh, Barnett versus uh, School Board of West Virginia. And uh, in that case, the issue was the Pledge of Allegiance. Can you compel a student to recite the Pledge of Allegiance? So the issue there is that the Pledge of Allegiance is a value-laden recitation. It's mm -hmm. filled with ringing endorsements of certain viewpoints. That, we can say, you can't compel someone to say. Can you compel them to say that in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue? 
Yes, you can. The courts have looked at more factual claims like that. You can it force you can compel a student in a test, for instance, I to see. say yeah. this is a true fact. Got this it. is yeah. a false fact. Yeah. So but, but I mean, obviously, not I'm very not really modern so now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I mean, this it's, it doesn't really solve the problem because there's gray areas, yeah. right? Um, so I don't have a good answer for those tough cases. And God knows the courts don't. But in, in theory, that's the way it would work. And those are the bills that I'm not going to like leap after because, again, they're just basically stamping the ground of established First Amendment doctrine. Sure. Sorry, I, I think part of the issue here, and it's, it's interesting because it, it feels like it always kind of comes back to this, is there's a fundamental tension when the government is directly involved in K through 12 education. And right. there are questions about who gets to say what, who gets to determine what is taught in the schools, and a, a real genuine need for oversight, an appetite for oversight on the part of parents who are entrusting their, their children to these agents of the state who are now responsible for educating them. And there, there are genuine tensions with respect to free speech. We've talked about a lot of those tensions here on the podcast, the differences in K through 12 versus the university level. But I do think that there is a, a, a fundamental like idea, the notion that we ought to be striving to have institutions of, of to the extent we have public education at all, institutions that are focused on on the the notion of like pluralism, this basic idea that our shared value is that we have you know equal protection, but we also tolerate our differences, and it does seem rather obvious to anyone who's been paying attention that there is an appetite for amongst many teachers. And I, I don't know how many, I don't know if it's a majority, but there are, there's a not insignificant number of teachers who feel that their responsibility is to inculcate their values into the students that are entrusted to them, whether it be with respect to racial justice or their perspective on um, you know, gay rights or trans issues or sexuality more broadly, they feel like that is their mandate. Not so much to, you know, not merely to get you excited about reading or to teach you how to you know, solve the quadratic equation, it's also to make you a good citizen by making certain that you share my values. And I do think it's important to to identify that as the thing that many conservatives and even people like me are genuinely concerned about with respect to K through 12 education and the general kind of atmosphere that exists. The response from conservatives to that very real tension and to the fact that there are, are a number of teachers who are interested in being activists and in, in some cases got their hands caught in the cookie jar, jar in ways that are really embarrassing, that have created these ridiculous kind of splashy stories about teachers who are, you know, accusing their white um, faculty um, co-workers or white classmates of spirit murdering black children. Like those people are insane and that's bad and we should do something about that. Um, the question becomes like, what do you do about it? And whether or not any of these laws can actually protect students from efforts to try and indoctrinate them, which I, I would argue that they probably can't. Um, or if it obviates the need for parents to be directly engaged in the whole process of their children getting educated all the way through kin from pre-k all the way through 12th grade they still live in your house and you probably still have some responsibilities and there is going to be a time probably many times where a teacher says something in class that you don't really like 
And it might be the sort of issue where you say, oh, just ignore it. They have no idea what they're talking about. There were never any dinosaurs. The Bible is very clear about this. um, We we know. Why are you laughing? (laughs) (laughs) Because I've had that conversation with my mom. This is fine. It's literally true. Um, uh, (laughs) We we know. Um, So, you know, I I think it's it's always worth doing that kind of um, table setting when we talk about this this stuff because it it can it can always it's easy for it to get lost um in the shuffle you know conservatives are coming out of nowhere with these insane pieces of legislation in the hopes that they can stop people from talking about slavery or because they hate gayness and hate gay people and don't want anyone to be gay ever and it it bothers me a great deal that so much of our um, our discourse around these issues um, becomes precisely that. Like we want the truth, we want what's best for students, um, and therefore either we must teach quote unquote CRT or we must ban CRT. And in much the same way, we must teach you know a particular view of sexuality, um, or we must prevent anyone from talking about these things at all. And it seems obvious to me that both of those approaches are wrong and both of those approaches are are forms of indoctrination that evade what I think is actually necessary here. Like really serious, thoughtful conversations about what kind of praxis is best for these different school settings. And I suspect that, that it's actually going to it's going to depend a lot on the community. It's going to depend on particular circumstances and different schools are going to try different things, which ultimately is why I'm such a bullish supporter of like uh, backpack funding and school choice, which we don't have to get into whether or not right. that's a great idea. But to me, it's just so obviously a better approach to, to, to trying to address this stuff than these top down um, divisive concept bills are. And they just, they keep introducing these things um, and they keep expanding the scope of what these things can do. As we've talked about in Florida uh, b- before this, we, we started with K through 12. We've gone from K through 12 to K through 12 plus the universities, plus private employers now being regulated in various ways. And now we've gone from beyond critical race theory to sexuality. Um, and I just don't, for all of the efforts to try and do this and for all of the talk of these bills being beautiful and carefully drafted, they don't seem to be getting any better. They seem to be getting, if not worse, the the new iterations of these things, as they expand into new areas, they have all of the same defects as the previous generations of these bills do. Non-specific, weird introduction of concepts that are that have no real kind of legal grounding whatsoever. And I just can't see how this does anything more than fuel the culture war in ways that are deeply unhelpful. Uh, if you'll let me, like, I want to I want to read to you this new bill that just went live because it's the most insane thing I've ever seen in my life. I mean, you're talking about bills, how they've gotten worse. Um, I mean, you, you can't even imagine the decline and deterioration in the bills that are now popping up all over the country because it's kind of like an arms race, right? Every single... Uh-huh. Every single conservative wants to have their fingerprints on these bills, and they want to be the one to say, I wrote this, I sponsored this. And the ones that are coming out now are just blowing me away. I'm trying to find one here that I can just throw at you. Um, Because they're typically not, and I'll give you a a second to look this up, 
they're typically not a response to anything, right? I mean, I when I was in Florida doing some reporting, and I went to the school board meetings, I couldn't find anyone who could give me, you know, a chapter and verse and what they were actually responding to beyond the general political climate and mm-hmm. why they wanted to have their fingerprints on it for whatever, you know, local, states, you know, and in DeSantis's case, maybe national election. Well, I mean, famously, famous, I guess, in my stupid world, I'm obsessed with this, is this <laughs> North Dakota law. This is a law that, that they passed in North Dakota last year after literally five days of debate. They passed a law banning K-12 schools from uh, discussing, not promoting or compelling, but discussing the idea that systemic racism exists in the United States and is responsible for shaping the American justice or the legal system. So this is a ban- this is a concept that is banned from conversation in K through 12 schools. After five days of debate, and during that debate, the press naturally asked these representatives, "Why are you doing this?" And they were very honest. They said, "You know what? There have not been any cases of this that we know of, <laughs> but uh, but we want to we want people are concerned, and we want to address their concerns. And you know, it just makes sense to take this off the table. So it really shows you. <laughs> I mean, that's just a beautiful example. I love that case because. There, there was nothing they could point to, not a single incident. No parent could point to a specific classroom where, you know, things all went pear-shaped. They just, uh, it was an issue that their constituents cared I mean, there's about, no and end. There's no end to there's those no kind end. of prophylactic measures that maybe somebody will discuss. You know, we want to pass a bill that you cannot support Nazism between, you know, 1933 <laughs> and 1945. A very specific, that's bad Nazism. You don't want to get it. But, I mean, obviously, we can keep doing this until, you know, um, everyone's exhausted and out of breath. But it seems that these are obviously mostly, mostly political things. But the one thing I wanted to ask you, Jeff, is that, I want to because I can I I always anticipate what our um, listeners who are probably, you know, less I would say less on Camille's side and on your side on this one. And um, let me just go to something that that people talk about. And It was one of the things I think that prompted it was that the 1619 project was you know, packaged at some point as a school curriculum, you know, this would be good. (laughs) And I don't know where this I saw Buffalo and some other places that are actually taking this up. that is something I imagine we probably disagree on. So I want to dig into that a little bit because that seems to me, regardless of whether you're on Sean Willens's side or Gordon Wood's side, you know, who cares about that stuff for the moment? But there is stuff from, you know, the people involved in this project that basically say that this is also a political project. And this is a sense that we're going to try to reframe the American founding for a political reason, even if the the historiography and the and the and the, the, the rewriting is actually good and sensible it is a political project right is uh-huh. there a point at which when if a school was to adopt that and then say and this is actually i think the crux because we had chris Riffo on the show and when he said something that I've haven't heard him say since which i'm kind of curious about that he said you know look if everyone in austin Wants this? Allow <laughs> them to make have this argument. This. You yeah, know? I the mean, specific okay. example in that case was 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 Brooklyn, right? Yeah, yeah I think yeah. it was either Brooklyn. I think it was an Austin thing, but yeah, maybe too. Both. Yeah, um, that yeah. Chris okay, Chris Ruffo let... advocated for critical race theory in Brooklyn public schools on this podcast. That <laughs> yeah, is yeah, a thing. Much from anymore. That is a thing that happened. <laughs> yeah, I think that's go a back thing that's and find the audio happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We should pull that like a Joe Rogan episode. Make sure no one hears it. If that is the case. Supercut, where he's just like, I love critical race theory. Um, (laughs) But if that is the case, where you have a school district in Brooklyn where everyone's like, love the 1619 Project, um, you know, 
is that how do you deal with something like that? If, if, okay. if a school district wants to do something exp- expressly political and most of the parents either don't care or actually support it. All right. This is good because I didn't get really a chance. I didn't get a chance to really uh, kind of explain or to respond to Camille's point earlier. So this is the thing. Look, you're never going to get politics out of K through 12 education. You're never going right. to get a kind of neutral view of, of, of the, the principal subjects that students have to learn. Sometimes I hear people say, let's just get back to basics, reading, writing, arithmetic. <laughs> Fine. That's a great way to have a generation of kids who are totally unprepared for the 21st century. What are they going to read? Mm-hmm. What are they going to read? I <laughs> guess they're going to read owner's manuals, right? That's kind of like <laughs> the people who defend Cuba and say, like, you know, they have a great literacy rate. It's like, can you get Orwell? No. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if, if, if we want, you know, if we want our kids to, you know, whatever you view, if you're, if you're like, you know, if you're a red-blooded conservative or if you're the most liberal lefty out there, if you want them to be a good citizen, a responsible member of their community, like a good parent, you've got to, give them an education that furnishes those skills. And that's more than just, you know, math and and writing and reading. All right. So you cannot get politics out of K through 12. And this 1557 bill in Florida, the don't say gay bill is a great example. I mean, we can look at what that bill does. It might look like it's trying to achieve some kind of neutrality by Preventing people from discussing, uh, you know, their their gay family or to, to talk about uh, homosexuality at a certain age. But, I, you know, it's not neutral. It means that, you know, if you're straight, you can talk about your family. You can talk about straight families, straight relationships. I guarantee you that when a judge looks at the language of that bill and sees mm-hmm. that it forbids encouraging people having conversations <clears throat> about gender and sexuality, nobody, at least these, these people who wrote it, they do not think of straight relationships as a topic of sexuality. They do not think about, you know, cisgender as uh, as a gender that's targeted by this bill. So people who, you know, it's not a neutral kind of bills that I'm saying. These bills are putting their thumbs on the scale. They're not achieving a kind of neutral sphere in which uh, everybody's views, uh, you know, are equal. They are pushing a specific agenda and Sometimes they're not even very subtle about it. They're very, very obvious. All right, so listen, you can't get politics out of K through 12 schools. How should you deal with this teacher who goes rogue? Or how should you handle a school that wants to have the 1619 Project taught? If you're a parent and you hate that, don't pass a law against it. Instead, go go to the source of the problem, your school district. Make a stink. Try to recall you know, the members of your school board. Uh, make complaints <laughs> to get a teacher fired. Like, I, I mean, I'm not saying this as something that like, this is my ideal. I want teachers fired. I'm saying that these are problems that are best solved at the local level. There mm-hmm. you can yeah, there is a recourse. solution. Yeah. There is recourse. Yeah. You can file a lawsuit. Okay, you can file a lawsuit alleging a violation of constitution of rights under the Civil Rights Act, which we are seeing people doing across the country. People are filing complaints uh, with OCR or they're filing lawsuits alleging violations of the Civil Rights Act because they say that their school is depriving their student, their kid of their of their civil rights. You have a recourse passing a law, though. That's going to affect, you know, millions of students in a state, a large state like Texas or Florida, that's going to change the working conditions for tens of thousands of school district employees 
and often in really vague and hard to predict ways, that's just a recipe for disaster in a way that's going to blow up in people's faces. Were you able to, in your um, research, kind of uh, get a sense of the trend line of the number, the sheer number of such bills? Like, are we, was it sort of in, in the similar way of school recalls, you know, there's like 20 or 30 a year in the country or attempts, they don't really ever get that far. Um, and then last year it went to 90. Like, uh, so is there a similar thing happening with bills like this? There, every year there's, there's 25 and now there's 160. Uh, what, what is your sense? So since January 1st of this year, 107 new bills have been proposed, introduced that are essentially these kinds of gag orders you know, different distinct bills. So not counting the House and the Senate version twice. I mean, distinct bills in, I think now 39 different states. We, at Penn, we came out with a report with top line numbers on Tuesday. And I don't know what, I can't recall what the exact top line number was, but it's something I think like um, uh, 102 bills at the time. We've had seven more bills since Tuesday that have been filed in Alaska, Wyoming, Kentucky, uh, Maryland, these bills keep on popping up. So I think it's fair to say that things have slowed since January, but really we're, you know, we're coming down from this huge height. It's still at a pretty steady clip. And I wouldn't say they're getting better. I wouldn't say they're getting more modest in scope. They're continuing to target higher ed in ways that are blatantly unconstitutional. They're continuing to target private schools, even parochial schools in some cases. Charter schools are definitely in the crosshairs in almost all the bills. And they're continuing to include very severe kinds of punishments, like um, losing, uh, losing access to crucial state grants, professional discipline up to and including termination of employees, private right of action where a citizen can sue a school district or even the individual teacher themselves stripping them of normal kinds of indemnification, uh, can sue an individual teacher for damages if that teacher says the wrong thing in the classroom. So really severe punishments. And uh, you know this is all just a recipe for censorship. People are going to shut their mouths and avoid topics altogether. But his free speech, I mean, let me give you the Rufo. Is it good? Is, is that what you're going to say there? It's terrible. And uh, because the people <laughs> say it and they make people uncomfortable and it should be limited, um, particularly in Canada. I want, well, let's get to that, that it should be gone yeah. in Canada. But <laughs> like, to, to give the kind of uh, Rufo argument, I'll make this a, two, a very quick two-part question. The first right. one is that, is it, is it the wrong frame? to talk about it in the sense of free speech. Because the argument is obviously there is, you don't really have the same free speech rights when you're teaching 10 year olds than you would if you were teaching university students at a private college. I know this stuff has leapt to employers and universities and publicly funded universities, et cetera. And that just was inevitable. And I think uh, Camille was quite prescient on that. And I think this podcast was was too. But is that the, is that the wrong frame, number one? And number two, yeah. I'll ask you a really straightforward question. Is there anything that Chris Riffo is right about? Uh, I'm sure he knows his name, his address, that kind of business. But beyond <laughs> that, <laughs> I'm going to say that that's a no. Unkind. For those listening and Unkind. don't understand the Nova Scotia not sarcasm, only, that's not a no. Only, not only is he wrong, and I'm happy to talk about this too, but I can't tell you how many times I've caught him flat out lying about these bills. I'll just use that word. He lies about strong. these bills. Yeah, it is, it is strong. Uh, Have but, you, you know, debated the, him on this? Is, is he willing to talk to you about this stuff publicly? 
I don't even know if he if he knows I exist. Yeah. And frankly, Camille? that would be wonderful if Just he never learned that. Just pretend you other Jeffrey Sachs. Can sure you that, that Let's get I that going. You don't even know how often that comes up. All right, but no. I mean, take your questions first. Uh, what the hell was your first? Oh yeah, the, the free just, speech angle is that a is yeah. that a bad frame for it? Well, I didn't use the word free speech. I referred to censorship. So, but you're right. Or I mean, like the, yeah. the, the meat of it, you're absolutely right about the fact that uh, certainly in like just basic constitutional doctrine, K through 12 teachers, they're engaging in government speech. They do not have free speech rights on the job. Okay. So you're apps. I mean, there's, I'm not saying that legislators have no legal right to censor or control what these people say in the classroom. I'm saying that if they do it, it's going to have massive blowback or it's going to have it's, it's going to cause way more harm than mm-hmm. any good they might possibly do. So I'm not making a kind of legal argument. I'm making, I guess, a more normative one. Uh, and I'm saying that the damage this would do is potentially extreme. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm okay. nodding my head vigorously. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's that's the way to think about it. You're absolutely right that when it comes to something like, let's say, public like public higher ed, there the constitutional issues are much higher, you know, in, right. in level, I think the stakes are much higher there. Yeah. And, and, you know, that has actually been present from the get go, the even the very first wave of bills were targeting higher ed. And Rufo is in favor of many of those. He's come out and supported those bills. Um, I'm not sure where he stands on them now, but at least originally he was in favor of the bills targeting higher ed. So, yeah, I mean, when it comes to K through 12, yes, legislators have the right to determine what their employees say in the classroom. Um, there will be lawsuits because there is precedent and there's grounds to argue that by denying certain conversations from taking place in the classroom, they are violating the rights of students. Mm. Okay. So there's the student based argument that you can make. It's popped up. It was, it popped up in a really major uh, important case in Arizona where the um, state of Arizona passed a law prohibiting school districts from teaching ethnic studies courses and Mexican studies courses. This was back in, I think, 2010. Mm-hmm. And uh, the upshot of it was that um, a federal court found that that law was a violation of student civil rights because it was made with racist or discriminatory intent. OK, um, so if a student could demonstrate in a lawsuit that I mean, I know I'm getting very technical here, but I'm trying to say if a student could demonstrate that one of these gag orders was made with discriminatory intent, that could be a First Amendment or that could be a way of rolling back one of these bills. It's nearly impossible to do, though, isn't it? Well, it depends on how clumsy one of these legislators is in defending them or, or proposing them. And, you know, frankly, some are pretty bad. There mm-hmm. are I mean, and there's an Idaho law that's now on the books. And some of the legislators some, said some pretty upsetting and horrific things about the intent of the bill. Um, you know, I, I can't remember the specifics off the top of my head, but it was something like this legislator said something to the extent of, uh, you know, we don't want our students, we want our students reading about Washington, Jefferson. We don't want them reading about some third world dirt farmer coming, you know, uh, using really inflammatory kind of language hmm. to describe them uh, and and how it's going to distort and damage the psyche of these of these students. She used really inflammatory kind of upsetting language. I don't know if it rises to the legal standard of discriminatory intent, but it was pretty bad. There's other things like that. 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think, I think for me, and, I, and I'm I'm interested in, in broadening the conversation a little bit and getting into some of the the, the other things that are happening in Canada that you yeah. may have some perspective on. But I, it, it's hard for me not to think about like, what what our fundamental goals are where public education is concerned. Um, the fact that we have so many school systems in this country that are kind of chronically underperforming, where whole swaths of their student population, you know, aren't on grade level in so many areas. Um, and we we desperately need improvement in those classroom settings. And what's ended up happening is just the entirety of our conversation around public education and about school reform has become totally hijacked by the these culture war issues. And it certainly isn't obvious that any of these bans have served to completely arrest the the various cultural weirdness that that keeps popping up um in the places where this stuff does seem to get passed more of it eventually seems to get passed and get codified in a different way like florida essentially began with an action on the part of the governor at the school board level, then it turns into a law and the law is broadened so that it's, again, affecting like universities and private employers. And now we have a similar sort of effort going on with um, sexuality and gender issues. And the question becomes, again, just like, how do we navigate this kind of stuff in a, a world where we're, we're necessarily going to disagree on things? And it, it's hard for me not to think about like my own high school experience and debate club and the process by which you end up having to to defend um, or advance an argument that you might disagree with severely so that you can get the grade. And it's just randomly, the positions are randomly assigned to you. And the process is to be involved in those conversations. And I, I do think that there's something to be said for, of course, it is it is technically constitutional to pass this kind of legislation to pursue explicitly political methods for trying to control what can and can't be said in classrooms. The the problem, however, is all of the weird um, after effects that go along with this and the precedent that it sets for other people to try and do precisely the same thing in terms of mandating what can and can't be said from the other side. Um, and that is that is something that we really do have to contend with. And I think if there's anything that can be learned from the recent, um, I, I'll call it a victory, uh, the recent victory in San Francisco, where several very prominent members of the school board were thrown out on their ears in an overwhelming, overwhelming right. defeat. I mean, we're talking like 75% of the people who voted said, nah, we gotta recall you, like you need to go. Um, these are people who I think were thrown out on their ear in a place that is heavily democratic, overwhelmingly democratic. Um, I mean, I don't know that anyone, um, there are very few Trump voters in San Francisco. I'll just put it that way. Um, having been here for some time, for I can speak to that. Yeah. Um, but these are people who were, who were frustrated by what they were seeing come out of their school board, a school board that had permitted itself to become explicitly and openly political in ways that offended the sensibility of people who were inclined to agree with them. That, that there was this just level of serial incompetence when schools should have been focused on like very basic, like bread and butter stuff for educators and school administrators. Like they were focused on changing the name of the school, uh, eviscerating standards of merit for their best schools in the school system and 
this is it was exceedingly unpopular stuff and it cost them their jobs and, and man there was is there tr- with them last night right? yes um, and, and i want to hear i want to hear more uh, about that experience Ga- too with gabraham lincoln right? abraham lincoln that? is <laughs> i love him i think i'm in a relationship with gabraham lincoln i'm the joshua what was his name joshua's uh, the the man that he slept in the bed with anyone come uh, on i don't i don't know professor jeff Lincoln's shared that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Josh was speeding or something. I can't remember. I'll have to look it up. I, oh, is that true? This is illegal in Florida. Yeah. Even though I didn't <laughs> yeah. yeah. We can't, can't talk about that. Our, it's true. Lincoln, we can't talk our about gayest that. president. That's right. We can't, can't talk about that. that. <laughs> but but I, I mean I I think the, the 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 upshot of what I'm saying I keep I feel like I'm I'm keep doing these these soliloquies so I'm going to try to to, to yeah. stop it more conversational. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, you know, you're going to get ahead. I was close. It was Joshua Speed. Just for the record. That, that, that is, a, a, I mean, that's kind yeah, of a gay name. The most, and I mean, the that is a compliment. Most useless brain this side of Nick Gillespie. I do. I do. <laughs> I, am, I am unemployed, too. I don't have a job. And I just showed oh, really? up for this. I mean, I'm even on this podcast at this point. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm like, here drinking. Um, but <laughs> no, but yeah, no, I just, I mean, yeah, go ahead, please. No, no. I mean, I mean you're absolutely you're right. And the thing I love about the Florida case, I don't know the politics of it very well, but that's exactly the right response, right? Citizens mobilized. They organized this recall. They got the votes and they tossed these people out. Whether you like hate that result or love that result, it is better than passing a law. Okay. Uh-huh. So that is how a you state that's a targeted. Law. Exactly. A state law. It's a targeted focused response to one school board and the three, I guess the worst people on it that they wanted to get off. If uh, the three, me, the only three who they could get off by okay. law because they had served long enough, they would have recalled everybody if that was <laughs> Wait, so this would have you have to be on at a certain, for a certain amount of time to be yeah. recalled? Yeah, they'd been, okay. they'd been on for long enough to qualify for the recall. They would have recalled all seven board members if that was possible. That would have well, happened. I bet the other, the other four got a message, right? Yeah. I mean, the other four so. got well, loud the and message, clear. The message is that white supremacy is alive and well in <laughs> the <laughs> Bay Area. I think San I saw Francisco. that tweet. That is yeah. the thing. And it's the only real lesson to learn. So there's yeah. some, there's still yeah. some house, housekeeping that needs to be Gabraham done. Abraham Lincoln, here. white nationalist. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, like, look, like th- th- that that's that's my preferred solution to it. Rufo doesn't want that. I don't know. You know, he's he'd rather just have, I guess, the, all these states just pass these laws, uh, expelling certain ideas in the classroom. What people have to realize, and I guess, you know, Moynihan here to answer your point, because I do agree. There's probably a lot of people listening who are sympathetic to these laws. Mm. What I want want people mm-hmm. to know that liberals can and will use these laws too. If you pass them, yep. liberals will use them yeah. and they will come down like yeah. a hammer on conservatives. You think that liberals can't use some of these vaguely written <laughs> laws banning racist ideas in the classroom to start censoring all kinds of other I mean oh my think gosh. about how creative yeah. liberals are at defining racism. Yeah. So appreciate <laughs> the tool. Yes. It's yeah. very generous <laughs> creative. Yes. You have to appreciate like the tool you're putting in liberals' hands. Um, yes. so that's you know that's kind of just my like self-interested ass covering argument to these people. Do not do not give a weapon to your enemy. Um, far better to just recall them or to launch a lawsuit or whatever it takes that is not going to blow up in your face so spectacularly. Look, it's the lesson that conservatives never learned from the John Yu school of executive power is that they were like, wait mm-hmm. a second, Obama gets to do this? And then like, I don't know, Trump, wait, wait, the, the first week Joe Biden's going to sign all the executive orders? Like, you know, this was an established precedent during the W <laughs> administration, which you all supported. Right. And it's going to come back and bite you in the ass. 
Yeah. I mean, Obama, let's not forget uh, when he, for the half a moment that he thought he might uh, lose to Mitt Romney, he was like, oh, I should maybe rewrite the rules about how I can drone people to death because a Republican <laughs> might, might have that <laughs> yeah. power. That would be bad, right? Yeah. I got four years of droning. I'm good at this point. <laughs> well, speaking I, I of droning, a... do you, uh, Jeff, do you, are you uh, ready to drone the, uh, the trucks in uh, Ottawa? Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm getting close. No, I'm getting close. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't know when this is going live. But I can tell you right now, tonight in Ottawa, the police are advancing. They're making they're arrests. Some people, yeah. 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 So yeah. this is this is the day they're starting to they're trying to really amp up the pressure and clear out the the convoy in Ottawa. So um, we're can we, this on can we put a little night, context people. around this? Yeah, yeah can we put a little context around this? Because I think Do the it. protests began in what, like mid January is mm, when later, the, the truckers think, started yeah, to January. show up. Late, about, late January, about two and a half, three right, weeks well, now. In, yeah. in response, in response to these these national vaccine mandates, which they exist on both sides of the border, both in Canada and in the United States, um, and the particular people who were impacted by this, I think that they're, they're national and all workers are impacted by, the, by them, but truckers in particular were uniquely concerned about this, not because most of them aren't vaccinated, and because all of the available evidence I've seen suggests that most Canadian truckers are in fact vaccinated. 90%, um, yeah. But in general, there appear to be many Canadians, and specifically many Canadians with access to big rigs, who find the way that the mandates have been enforced um, especially today, perhaps, completely unacceptable. They, the mandates would require, for example, if you cross the border and you're unvaccinated or you don't show proof of vaccination that you might have to, say, quarantine for 15-odd days. Worth noting that truckers generally have this like, very solitary job where they're already kind of isolated <laughs> from people. You know, you're just yeah. in your, your, your um, cab by yourself most of the time until you stop for gas or get food or whatever. But in either case, like, it... it there's a sense in which these mandates, at a minimum, there was a period of time when I think it was probably more defensible. And in January, February of 2022, with Omicron running wild everywhere and essentially overcoming the barrier of the vaccination appears to be something that is well documented and understood at this point, the, the need to mandate that the vaccinations happen seems perhaps a little less urgent. Um, and more than that, it also seems like a concern for the individuals themselves. And a lot of these truckers and other people who support them appear to share these sentiments and these demonstrations, which have turned into blockades in some cases of different streets in the city, of different border crossings, have grown. Um, there have been, there's been kind of, in certain instances, a festive atmosphere. In other instances, there appear to be more disconcerting um, and potentially dangerous manifestations of kind of opposition to, to state authority and these mandates, um, and a broader coalition of political concerns. Um, that I would generally refer to as kind of right wing or perhaps just kind of anti-government in the sense that they are in favor of kind of smaller government in a broader sense. And in a lot of cases, just don't like the prime minister. Um, in either case, you have these things working together for a while. 
But the recent development isn't just that these protests have been going on for a while and people are increasingly frustrated, but that the federal government in Canada has decided that they're going to take dramatic action in order to clean this stuff up. And that doesn't mean that they're going to start arresting people who've broken the law and who are committing traffic violations, as police officers could do, because it's a crime to just park your big rig in the middle of the street. No, they're going after the people who own the trucks and anyone who sends money to support these different efforts in any number of ways. And they're going after them with this kind of rather extraordinary, I think is a good word to use here. I think it fits, um, set of sweeping new authorities that they are effectively granting to private actors. They're deputizing these private actors and encouraging them to freeze accounts for people that the government flags and identifies as financially supporting the trucker protests. Um, and it's or it's, old authorities that have just haven't been used. I mean, yes. this is these are not new in the sense that it's new in the sense that they've actually been 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 used by the government. And, I mean, the last what, time was I a mean, similar one, but it was a different law, and that was during a right. terrorist campaign from Quebecois separatists. But that's a that was in 1970 or 71 or something. And, I mean, yeah, I think that's a pretty good summation. I mean, Moynihan, one thing that you flagged as well is that it, it's not just you know various agents of the like regulatory state, like. They effectively have members of the intelligence community that are involved uh, in these Friedland efforts said something today to monitor and flag the, people. And yeah, that was slightly disturbing. And, and it was it was not really noticed. It was in a speech um, in which he was uh, doubling, tripling down on this and saying, you know, we're going to freeze your accounts um, and wouldn't say who. You know, like I get that, that they're not going to tell you exactly who they're whose accounts they're freezing. Um, but there was a summation at the end where she was like, we're watching you. We know what you're going to do next. We know where this money's coming from. It's like, wait, how do you know this shit? It's like, that is a bit disconcerting. And the whole thing is, and like, just to be clear about this, um, you know, I think it's, I'm not speaking for everybody here, but I think it's probably true of, of uh, Matt and Camille too, is that as people on this side of the border, it's it's not the kind of intricacies of the mandates that rankle. Or, I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's less of an issue with me. I mean, I have I have issues with it on both sides. I see I see uh, both sides of that issue. The response has been really like discouraging and dispiriting, particularly as it kind of reflects our insane culture war right now. In the mm-hmm. sense that you know, the, the the constant absurd invocation from both the prime minister and people in the media of swastikas is really unconscionable because there was one guy who was a a conservative member of parliament who was speaking and there was a guy behind him with a Canadian flag with a swastika drawn in it the implication being that the government is fascist, not that I support fascism. Do some of these people have bad views? This is undoubtedly true, and this is always going to be undoubtedly true. Um, but this constant thing of like, you know, saying to a Jewish member of parliament of the Conservative Party yesterday, the prime minister saying, you know, you're standing, you're happy to stand next to people with swastikas is loathsome. This kind of stuff is disgusting. And this is like, you know, the tweet from Trudeau of like, you're standing with people who are transphobic and Islamophobic. You're just throwing everything in there at this point. Is there a real, is there a, is there a pe- bunch of people in the center of Ottawa being like, we really 
have to, you know, prevent trans people from teaching in schools in Florida or something. I don't know where this comes from, but it's the everything in the kitchen sink approach of isms. Everybody is this. Rather than doing something which is to engage with the issue, which they mm-hmm. haven't done. And look, I mean, th- the hypocrisy of this comes on both sides of how conservatives sort of love protests and, and disrupting things and then they don't love them. And this right. is very much true in the other direction, too, is that, look, Protests are protests. They're supposed to disrupt things. That's the point of them. And I don't like it. I'm not a fan of this type of protest. I wish these people would would vacate and not do this sort of thing. I think when you're talking about what um, conservatives don't understand about about these uh, bits of legislation, it's going to come back and bite them in the ass. The same thing is true here, too. Don't encourage people to shut down the commerce of a, of a country and say, well, it's, it's on the side that I like. It's also ridiculous for people to say, oh, it's a minority viewpoint. So what? You know, I mean, there was a point at which, you know, 30 odd percent of people were supporting BLM down from 50 percent because they didn't like the way the protests were going. It didn't make a difference with, you know, should they be out there? So I just find the whole reaction to it is something that is very, very reflective of 2022, is that let's just say they're all people with Klan flags and with with uh, Confederate flags and swastikas. And do those people exist? Yes. But we can also say that bad people with very, very bad views existed in protests in America, whether they were BLM, whether they were in Portland, or whether they were conservative protests against, you know, the Biden whatever it might be. I think it is the Tea Party stuff. Yeah, I met a bunch of crazy people when I was was covering Tea Party stuff. (laughs) But I just think the whole debate is so, you know, gross at this point that people, I mean, for lack of a better word, that is just actually, it makes my skin crawl in a way, that, that, that there's actual... I mean, what we're trying to do is never engage on it. You know, it took me a while to figure out what they were protesting because I was just getting like, oh, this guy once said this on TikTok or something. Yeah. Okay. well, I mean, fine. How representative is this guy? I mean, so what is the the sense you get in Canada? You're actually like a dual citizen. Permanent residence. You're a permanent yeah. resident. Yeah. Okay. You, if you were a dual citizen, I was going to call you a traitor. But you're not a traitor. You're an American. <laughs> and you're well, proud to be I pay taxes. I pay taxes you pay in taxes. America. You take my money, you yeah, give me nothing yes, back. So. Exactly. If for, anything, you should be thanking me. Yeah. You, I'm taking your money for, for like, you know, critical race theory. That's, That's right. what I'm doing. But, but like, am I wrong? Because I mean, people dismiss this stuff as like, you're an American. You don't understand what's going on. When I see the prime minister in parliament saying, you're just standing in front of a bunch of swastikas. Does that strike you as kind of bullshit as it, as it strikes me? Uh, yeah, I mean, it largely strikes me as bullshit. So, but there, I mean, there, let me kind of like paint the, the mosaic of bullshit around here because it, it is complicated. <laughs> First of all, like Mosaics 90, of 90% are our of our specialty. Yeah, we like that. That's right. Like 90% <laughs> of this, it's, it's, it's domestic electoral politics. Sure. Okay. So, I mean, there, right now the conservative party in, in Canada is in like various state of chaos. There was a, the, the leader was tossed out on his ear. There's an interim leader right now. And Trudeau would like nothing better than obviously to paint the the trend of that party as radicalizing and he's mm-hmm. particularly careful you know cautious or, or freaking out about uh mm-hmm. this one guy's running to become the new leader of the conservative party uh canadian listeners know i'm talking about his name is pierre poliev and uh he's really played footsie with I, I guess I'm going to say like just extreme, you know, the farther end of the broad right spectrum. Um, Canada has a populist party. It's called the People's Party. Mm-hmm. It's uh, I don't there's no equivalent in America. I guess it's kind of just like the Freedom Caucus in, in U.S. Congress. And, uh, you know, it's pretty extreme in a lot of its, its views on immigration and race and sex. And the conservatives are, you know, they, they are trying to take some of those votes. Mm-hmm. So Trudeau is basically trying to paint that entire party with that kind of broad brush. 
But you're totally right. You, you can't just throw those words around, especially to a Jewish MP, when with without, without real concrete hard evidence, which they just don't have. I think nobody is going to say that the views of people in the convoy are politically correct and and, you know, that they're all woke. Obviously, they're not. But who cares? They are, you know, reasonable in many cases, mainstream views or views that are not so far outside the mainstream. And uh, I think he's trying to make political hay out of some bad things some people said, some bad flags people flew, and he's trying to paint with a broad brush as a result. I mean, now, Prime Minister Al Jolson should probably not be doing this, by the way. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, yeah, him and, uh, and, and the Virginia ex-governor, uh, they really they need to form a little yeah. club there. At least he denied it. I mean, the great thing about Trudeau is like, he loved it so much that there's multiple pictures. There's He's like, I'm going to keep ones. doing this. Oh I God. love this blackface business. And it wasn't even that long ago, was no, it? Anyway, it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just like, just to complicate things. So the in the Ottawa protest, it's like what you described. There are other protests all over the country, different blockades and other border crossings. And the RCMP, uh, which is like our kind of FBI, they have identified links to, you know, alleging links to real extremist movements like radical Nazis and, and white supremacists. And they recovered this cache of weapons and ammunition and body armor at one of the blockades in a way that kind of shocked a lot of Canadians because we don't see as much of that up here. So I'm just trying to say, I'm not trying to defend Trudeau and I'm happy to, to just savage him on this podcast. I do want to like acknowledge though, <laughs> it's complicated because there is there are actual indications in some instances of more kind of extreme elements that doesn't change the fact that he's clearly trying to make hay out of this bullshit because he wants to paint the conservative party as being way more far right than it actually is. But Jeff, I think the problem with this, and I, I see what you're saying here, but the problem with this is when you allow a number of people, whether you see it in the Toronto Star, in the sort of, you know, more kind of liberal enclaves of the Canadian intelligentsia or people on Twitter and the rest of it, when you start saying this stuff so much, and you talk about you know, the weapons and there's like four yahoos. We don't know the connection. And, you know, it's always good policy, particularly after the war on terror, not to trust what the intelligence services are telling you about extremists. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, when you do that, you kind of set the table to do things like I'm going to seize your bank account. I'm going to invoke these powers. There's yeah. no other option at this point. I mean, uh -huh. after so long that this has not been invoked, and now there's an invocation of, of these emergency powers. And I see all these people. You don't, I, I, the worst thing in the world, but I lived in Sweden for a long time. Swedes do this too. Anybody who comments on Swedish politics, if they're not Swedish, and even if they're right, they're denounced as somebody who knows nothing about it. But, you know, all these people say, oh, you don't know. this. The, the, the actual provisions that protect civil liberties, it's like the ACLU's Canadian division is suing the government on this. This is not something that is just of interest to, like, various wackos. And I saw a guy interviewed uh, today, his trucker, and he said he was trying to pay for feed for his animals and he just like his, uh, was it the Royal Canadian Bank or whatever, um, it had shut down his account um, with no, he has no recourse, he has no uh, ability to argue this point and he's engaged in protest. Now, I do, is this person engaged in violent protest? I, I don't know, maybe well, he is. But I if mean, he is, arrest him. Don't yeah, shut I down mean, his bank account. I'm, 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 I, the and last prove, thing Improve your case is, in court. Improve your case, case in court. court. Yeah. Like destroying I'm not, I'm not someone's defend. entire livelihood arbitrarily with like almost no accountability or visibility it, it's it is startling 
startling yeah. to see people get excited about this and think, oh yeah, this is great. This is how we crack down on protesters who are disrupting our way of life. Um, it, it, it's, it's madness. It cannot yeah. be how we do things. So I mean, this or, is, this or is you people emergency. do things. And this is what I'm not going to defend. Like, I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to defend. I'm just going to, I hate this emergency act that was, that, that Trudeau has now adopted. Right. I mean, I completely agree with what you're saying. I mean, the, the famous metaphor that gets used in Canada to describe this going back to when his father, Pierre Elliott Trudeau used mm. a similar, a different law. This is Wait, like is that trying to, I thought his daddy yeah. was that other guy with the beard. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, the one we tried to kill with that cigar. Yeah, yeah. I heard. <laughs> that was his daddy. Is yeah. that and by the way, no one ever <laughs> insult his mother, who is the coolest person to ever be the first Absolutely lady of anything right. ever. She's Thank awesome. She, yeah, she, she was the best. Uh, she was yeah. pretty good. She's uh, creeping. She, yeah. What uh, what was I saying there? Yeah, yeah. Basically, the metaphor here is it's trying to crack open a peanut with a sledgehammer. This law <laughs> that they're using, it, it unlocks so many crazy powers. Yeah. And, uh, and it's insane that they're using it. So, I mean, the, the, we don't have to get nitty gritty of the details of it, but the specific, basically the gist of it is that they're using this Emergency Powers Act, this Emergency Act. It is subject to you know review from parliament you cannot violate the charter of rights and freedoms which mm -hmm. is our bill of rights document um but it doesn't mean that you can't you know really abuse it very very easily and that's obviously the fear and what you're describing with banks and freezing of accounts is a really you know that's terrifying the, they, they shouldn't be doing this not for something that's clearly not some major threat to people's immediate physical safety the government is spinning the story about how this is damaging the international, the economy of the of Canada, and it's damaging our relations with the United States. If that is all it takes to turn a peaceful protest into a an emergency that you know that that, that justifies this kind of step, then then no protest is going to be safe. No protest is going to be immune from this, well, especially also... not when it's only mostly peaceful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the thing that people should be aware of is this has uh, precedent with every shitty decision that every uh, shitty ruler has ever made. You know, and you uh, think back to Donald Trump saying we have to put uh, enormous levies on uh, aluminum coming from China. Why? National security. They use national security for all of this stuff, for yeah. all of those of those tariffs. And it's like they're using the same language of national security, of how it's hurting Canada and the world, et cetera. And one has to do something that one is not likely to do, which is to separate the goals and the participants in the protest and of the protest with the actual functioning of a protest in general. Because I can't imagine that people are not going to say, well, you did this in the past and a conservative government of like the Stephen Harper variety would if there was a BLM type movement, right? And I said to Camille today, there was a guy um, in, uh, where was he, in Louisville? who took a shot at a Democratic uh, yeah, shot. Yeah. And, the mayor. And he, yeah, and he was... Uh, uh, great, he was a journalist. He was like a 21 year old. They had a 21-year-old kid writing columns for the Louisville uh, paper. But uh, he was bailed out by the local BLM faction, and they made some sort of silly excuse. And imagine a similar thing in the trucker situation, that somebody becomes violent, and then this money that has been suspended by a judge in Canada is used to bail out a violent person who's taking a shot with a gun 
at a politician. I can't imagine. Always do these stupid exercises because check yourself to realize that this stuff, if it happened in the other direction, you would not allow it. And it would not be page nine in the newspaper. Okay, so let me let me now like turn the tables and try to do to you what you are doing when you speak as Rufo uh-huh. or, or whoever. So yeah. th- this is I'm going to give you what the you know the, the a really a liberal Canadian would say. They would say, you know what, that hypocrisy has already happened. Only it happened in the other direction. Mm-hmm. Canada sees regular protests by indigenous activists who blockade mm-hmm. border crossings, rail lines. Uh, crucial infrastructure on dams and highways, typically uh-huh, uh-huh. because somebody wants to put a gas line or mm-hmm. they want to throw up a dam or they want to do it. They want to blow up a mountain I, you know, for things like that. We regularly see the RCMP or provincial mm-hmm. police tear down blockades, force people off land that they claim treaty rights to mm-hmm. abuse and push them around. Like it's endemic in this country. It happens all the time. It happened throughout 2020. There was a there's a wave of, of protests because of a gas line that was being put up in B.C. So this is the argument that this person is going to make. They're going to say whenever an indigenous blockade happens, the government does not hesitate to use standard you know, legal recourse and military and uh, police recourse to force these blockades down. In fact, what's different this time around is that for weeks, the police did not respond. The police did not do anything to the convoy. They let it build. They treated it gently. They were friendly. They were open until the point where these people took over, you know, a dozen square city blocks in the middle of the of the capital. They occupied the Ambassador Bridge, the most crucial cross, you know, border crossing in North America, right? I mean, in terms of, of the value of the goods going back and forth. If an indigenous activist were to try that that kind of business, they would be tossed on their ears after 24 hours. So th- I'm just giving you the line. They would yeah. say, look, you should say the- this with a Canadian accent, by the way, because it'd be like, <laughs> I thought I was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, they're like, the indigenous are like, I can't even believe it. Right. They're over at Horton's and no one's fucking with them. Right. <laughs> no one's um, fucking with them. No, I think it's I think it's a bullshit. I think it's a bullshit argument for a couple Tell of reasons. Uh, the first one is that they're already they've already cleared the the border crossing at Windsor. I mean, yep. if they have the capability of doing it, they will do it. This is the same thing is true in, in the U.S. I mean, they ultimately cleared Zuccotti Park. They did the same thing for, for the pipeline protests in North Dakota. This is expected. If you are actually, you know, screwing up the functioning of a, right. of, of a highway, of a city, etc. The difference is, is they have trucks. Number one, that's the first <laughs> that's thing. Very, very hard to get rid of. If they were just standing there going like, holy fuck, I can't even believe this fucking Trudeau guy. What a dick. They'd be, they'd be arrested and they'd be thrown in like they were blocking the street physically. It makes it much more difficult. And it's just a logistics thing in so many ways. I mean, they desperately want to get rid of these people. The, the, the interim head of the conservative party, who is very confusingly named Candace Bergen, uh, <laughs> literally called Candace Bergen, um, said, we want this to end. The Conservative Party themselves have said, we don't want this to continue. We want it to go away. But you're also dealing with something that is a lot more inflammatory and with a lot more financial repercussions. I mean, if these, uh, you know, what is it? In, you say first peoples, I guess, in Canada, the indigenous people were, were, were had you buy the balls and could actually exert that kind of pressure, it would be a different negotiation. But the other thing that's actually important to, to point out is that the Trudeau government hasn't given them even an, a minute of negotiation. There's been there, nothing there's, to say that these people actually the case actually that there's been no conversation? None. Zero. None. They've, I mean, they've had no that's conversation kind of whatsoever. astonishing. 
It that's is kind, kind of astonishing. astonishing. They're actually exerting some sort of power. And that's what protests do. And you cannot back up and say, well, polling says that the majority of people don't support you. That's not how it works. I'm sorry to say it. Isn't how we, you don't pay attention to a protest once you get a poll number back that says 51% of people agree. This is a very, very small group of people that are doing a very specified job. And that's probably not going to interest a ton of people outside of it's gotten bigger. And of course, the infusion of, of cash from other places has now made this like, you know, these people can't be st- spoken to at all. They're just a bunch of Trump people. Um, and there might be some of those in there, of course. I've seen people with Trump flags and everything. But again, it doesn't negate that, you know, the broken clock of people who are, who are Trump supporters might be right in this case. I'm not sure. You know. Well, I mean, look, OK, first of all, I'm going to say that some of the provinces have rolled back their mandates yeah. and they've suggested it's in some cases kind of implied it's because of these protests. So yeah, some elected right. leaders are listening to them. Yeah. Um, as far as meeting with Trudeau, I'm not following all the ins and outs of it. And certainly I would want him to meet with them. But also, the, the you know, in at least some of the leaders, I don't know to what extent there's leadership, really, but some of the leaders have said in press conferences, they do not want to talk to Trudeau because they do not view him as a legitimate leader. They've specifically said they want to talk to the leaders of the other parties and the governor general, who is the queen's representative in Canada. Now, I'm not trying to excuse this because he should be meeting with them. He should be getting on a bullhorn, you know, in the downtown or just, Ottawa. Or at least reaching out and reaching saying they, out. Re- they rejected me. Yeah, that's a, yeah exactly. That's a way of doing it. Exactly. So clearly, you know, he must feel that the political, you know, wind is at his back by taking a hard line on this. Yeah. And I think right now he's probably right. Maybe that will change as the emergency laws impact is felt. This is where I think, you know, listeners do need to be really, really, you know, like hawks on this. So, you know, again, I don't know the turnaround of these episodes, so I don't know when people are listening to this. No one does. The time he, won't be, he won't be he won't be prime minister by the yeah, time. He's the French Canadian guy that nobody understands. I think that the time to be terrified is like a month from now. I don't think the con I don't think I, the way that this law is going to get used, it's probably not going to result in I don't, I'm just going to say it's not going to result in the worst case. It's not going to be used in the worst possible ways that the letter of it allows it to be used. But what we saw last time around, after it was used by Trudeau's father in the 1970s, is for years thereafter, into the early 80s, it was being used to do all kinds of underhanded shit where, you know, people's phones were being tapped. And uh, the government was sending in, basically doing internal domestic espionage with Quebec separatists. That kind of thing lingered for years afterwards because the the life, like the half-life of these authorizations mm. really drags on. So that's where we want to be really, really careful, I think. So, you know, it's going to be, I don't know how long this is going to last. It could be days. It could be months. It could be by the end of this podcast. It could be by the end of this podcast. <laughs> up. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. like that, that's what terrifies me, like the way it's going to get used for a long time to come. Once you do this once, you know, it can get used again and it can get used for all kinds of stuff now. So that's where it really, I think we need to be concerned about. Welch, you've been a, a, a bit on the sidelines here, but as I understand it, there have been some people who have uh, called you out a little bit who suggested that you, really? you seem to be following no. these stories with some, what? some interest, but that maybe you, you talking out of your I'm ass going to be, a little bit. I'm going to be um, more diplomatic than all of that. Uh, no, I okay. haven't. I'm, I haven't talked about it much except for in terms of the way that Trudeau and people in um, in the media, both Canadian and, and also uh, American, have portrayed this. Because it just is it's very reminiscent to me 
of the way the media freak out uh, uh, primarily in 2009 against congressional town hall meetings when they were confronted with Tea Party people um, mm. and also to a lesser extent, but, a, but an actual extent of school board meetings in, in, in this past fall and, and kind of ongoing. Um, when you see protesters that are not sort of approved protesters show up, they get treated with the worst kind of nut picking. Who's who is the most inflammatory person out there? So I'm more uh, I don't I'm not from Canada. I don't I, I I'm always shocked to relearn that Ottawa is the capital of Canada. This seems strange to me. Um, I'm, I'm sure there's a backstory to that. Um, I don't know anything about any of this. And I'm, I'm curious about it. Actually, there's a there's a media story about this. I, we were having some conversations last night again at a very fun uh, fifth column listener uh, party in San Francisco. And um, and the conversation came up as it did in, uh, you know, with reporting initially in Portland, um, when our friend uh, Nancy Rommelman ended up going up there, actually, as a result of me and Jake Siegel and her talking about we can't trust people reporting about Portland anymore, not the Oregonian, not other people from the outside. There's just sort of a you, you don't have the same level of trust in media organizations. I currently don't have that level of trust of who is going to tell me anything about these protesters. What, 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 what do they want? Who, what are they? What, what does it mean? Um, I don't know anything about it and I have never claimed to know anything about it. I'm worried about the really draconian in my view, um, uh, uh, response by the Canadian government. And what's the name of that uh, woman, uh, Moynihan that, that's on there all the time. Um, uh, she's uh, just oh, terrible. Yeah, yeah. Just terrible. Yeah. Like every day she bad comes up personal experience with her, like, uh, uh, 10 Ooh. years ago, and I think Ooh. maybe 15 years ago, I think it's, it's maple syrup situation. This whole thing, <laughs> okay. she was uh, not nice to me. Um, she used uh, to be so, like, a, I think, a Reuters correspondent in DC. Uh, she was in DC. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Now she's yeah. deputy prime minister. She's she, deputy prime minister and she's like minister of finance. Right over right? you. Yep. Yeah, she's yeah, got yeah. Portfolio. Did you look try at me? I'm, I'm in front of a fucking tree doing a did podcast. Did you try to hit on her? Tried to. We dated for like six months. She's she's using this act against me. She's <laughs> on my WhatsApp. act against yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, very, very bad. Suddenly you know, she's she more sympathetic to, to me. Yeah, I had, a, I had a holiday and moose job planned and I can't go there. <laughs> no, but like, I, I think that it's, it's an interesting, uh, like, current snapshot of either media or my misinterpretation of media is that I don't have a level of trust of anyone. Um, well, who's giving who you a hard is, time? Camille said people are giving you a hard time. Um, but no one in particular is giving me a hard time in, in a sense that I want to talk about it. It was Camille, wasn't it? It was Camille. It wasn't me. It was definitely Camille. It wasn't me. Other uh, people talking about those yammering on about the, pro, you, know, uh, you know, Americans yammering on about uh, these protests should uh, hear the truth about what's happening. By um, the way, I, I really hate the invocation of your nationality when you do this. It's like if you ever go on Twitter or read a newspaper in Canada, there's a lot of yammering about the United States. <laughs> we do. We yammer. Really? That's what we do. Really? I'm sorry. And, and you know what? Most people who are yammering about the United States in the United States don't know what the fuck is happening. So, I mean, it's just extending it to Canada now. I so think don't, we know enough. Special. I think we know enough, even those of us who are tremendously ignorant, to recognize certain patterns yes. of dealing with um, the protests of people who um, are, are considered to be like a 
from a bad camp. Right. Um, and we also, you know, those of us who are civil libertarian um, in in orientation know enough to see those press conferences and see, you know, the Canadian Bankers Association saying, yes, we're going to crack down on on people who would dare try to fund these truckers. You know, like they're cracking down on the GoFundMes and whoever or else's news stories about somebody. I mean, Ilhan Omar was getting shit from people today for a completely sensible tweet about, like, why is this news that some woman gave $250 to the trucker protest? And, you know, she has the right idea. I mean, I I'm, I'm guarantee you that she's not on the side of these people politically, and I'm sure mm-hmm. they're not on her side either. But she made the right move and just saying that. And, and the response was like, well, actually, her name came out in this hacked list. And it's like, yeah, but it's not if you're if you're putting the spotlight on somebody and the woman apologized and like, you know, I don't this is just not this is not good. I mean, it, people donating to causes generally don't know what the fuck they're doing, even if it's like save the, you know, squirrels or something. I mean, you go, when somebody asks you at like, uh, what are the Whole Foods? There's a great South Park episode about this. And they're like pressuring you like, do you want to give money to like, no, no, I don't, because I don't know where this money is going. People don't know what they're doing when they give these things. They say, oh yeah, I think they should be able to protest. I'm going to give them a couple hundred bucks or whatever. And then they're just dragged through the media. It's like, I don't, Particularly when it was supposed to be a, pri- a private thing, it's like it's not the Pentagon Papers. It's like some woman gives a thing. Like I just don't. I don't like the instinct of it. I don't like the feeling of taking like innocent people who believe that they're doing something good, and then you know making their lives miserable and then although defending thing, it on some. Although that particular ground. story was a little different because I think the story that was written was after the woman had already found herself in a world of trouble because she had been caught up in the leaks and. And there was effectively this campaign to kind of heap yeah, scorn mean, on her that was already sure. impacting her business. And then it That's does right. become a legitimate news story. And that is what no, I, I, Ilhan I responded to. But yeah, in general, I, say I think that it the was the media right. that was yeah. doing this. I just think the general thing of like pulling people's name off a yes. hack list and then, yeah. you know, look at even if, if it's like AshleyMadison.com or if it's this, <laughs> like I just, I, I have a bad feeling about it. Not just because I was on one of those lists and not yeah. the other. I do. Um, I do I, have a buddy who, who found himself on that list. Oh, it, wow. it was very, it's funny because when it first happened, I like was like, whoa, did you see that this, this thing got hacked? And he's like, oh, yeah. oh, oh word. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's so yeah. nervous. He's yeah. like, oh, no, just I mean, this just, that's just going to yeah. be hard for a lot of people. Let me go, let me go back to my office and see if this nigga on yeah, the list. Yeah, I wasn't mad that people were trying to cheat on their lives. Yeah, I was mad that they were getting scammed by that stupid website. (laughs) (laughs) They're not going to find you a mistress. Man, you was talking to bots. (laughs) (laughs) You're not going to get laid that way. a Russian troll farm. Talking to bots. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Um, I'm glad we solved Canadian problems. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know if you've got any any additional thoughts on this. I don't want to keep you too long. I know you've got got things to do, although it sounds like you don't have any papers to grade because you yourself have been on protest. Is this this right? I've been on strike now, yeah, for about three weeks. What Why is going are you on? striking, you communists? We're unionized <laughs> up here. Faculty are unionized. Yeah, we're marching. Ah, uh, you know, it's it's all kinds of crazy stuff. I'm not yeah. gonna bore listeners, but yeah, we're on strike. We uh, I've been out of the classroom for three weeks, and uh, it sucks all around. But it's 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 what you gotta you do. You mean it sucks not to work and get paid? I, uh, yeah, it sucks not Come to get on, paid. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, yeah. Come on. <laughs> Canada, they take care of you, right? You know, you can go, I know, because I know a lot about Canadian politics, that you can just go into a Canadian tire and they just give you things because <laughs> of the government's <laughs> left of center. Just, you pay with the Canadian tire money and they give you whatever you want, right? That's not true? 
Uh, yeah, I, think, I don't think anymore. No, maybe. <laughs> well, you can, go to, you can go to a Tim Hortons and get some Tim bits, and they're like, "Oh, you're fucking, you know, protesting. That's great." And they give you, and then everything's fine. You're fine. Yep. Don't worry. About it. You'll be okay. <laughs> I believe in you. <laughs> no, no, we're we're making by we're, we're we're scraping by up here. But uh, yeah, yeah. I mean that. We, I mean, I'm sure you guys. I don't know. What do you, what do you think? What do libertarians think about unions? That's a whole other question. Did you have an extra six hours? Because yeah. we could probably get into it. Well, um, public sector unions suck. Private sector unions, fine, whatever. Fine, yeah. yeah. You're fine. You're okay. Fine. Uh, we don't no, think you suck. It's, it's a public sector union, guys. You I suck. I you you are suck. Go back to yeah. work. Yeah. yeah. Fuck okay, Chavez. <laughs> Taxpayer money. Wow. <laughs> get the fuck oh, back to work. You more and more and more of it. <laughs> We're bleeding to teach dry. people about how everyone is racist. I get it. I know, Jeff. I know what you're Think doing. about all the hearts I'm not corrupting while I'm out there right. marching. You guys should be cheering me on, actually. Dragging this out. Yeah, so many kids in Nova Scotia are going to like... Growing up to love capitalism because I was... Yeah, and the country. Yeah. freedom that's right and, and not hate everything that everyone else holds dear communist it's <laughs> a real opportunity well Jeff, yes. I, I greatly appreciate you joining us yeah um, my pleasure it. guys as always yeah good talking to you all he is the worst <laughs> i mean it's just all the austerity that he unleashed on russia after uh, the fall of the berlin <laughs> yeah. wall i yeah, think exactly. he really needs to answer for that in a way that he hasn't yeah. I wonder what it's so. like, because I'm somebody who's had to answer for a, another Nazi. Michael Moynihan, who is, a, I believe, a Nazi. Um, and was the <laughs> member of a band called Blood Axis, which has a... That's a good um, name. No, that's a good name. Yeah, it's a good name until you see the logo, which is like, oh. curiously like a swastika. And uh, there was something a long time ago, I had, I had like early blogging days, I had written something and somebody uh, referenced it in uh, Slate. And I think that somebody would update it and be like, I've come to my attention that I'm quoting a Nazi. And I was like, no, 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 It's a lot of us shitbags from Boston with the last name Moynihan. But yeah, it's always because there's other Michael Moynihan's and I always I always get mistaken for the worst one, of course. But Jeffrey Sachs is not I have when I just let people think we're interviewing Columbia Jeffrey Sachs. Yeah. Who are you talking to tonight? Jeffrey Sachs. Completely different one. Um, so it's, it's important to um, I nice. obviously get uh, mistaken for uh, uh, Matt Walsh uh, a lot. Uh, yes, yeah, so much so that people block you. <laughs> well, There's a silence do. there, which is <laughs> probably appropriate. This, actually, yes. you know what? Yeah. I'm uh, I'm 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 discreet and loving in my heart. Um, yeah. Uh, but Camille uh, or Kamel, uh, as we know mm. him, um, you've never had this Camelli. problem with no one because your name is so weird. Uh, mm-hmm. And beautiful, actually, it's a beautiful. Mm-hmm. Name. I think Jason Stanley for it will forever be ringing in my head, going Camelli. Like, what, what the guy at the bagel shop yelling Camelli. Like, what? Your order's ready. As I've as I've he said, he has that before, accent, which is hilarious. There is no mispronunciation of my name. I, that's the formal yeah. rule. I, I will respond to anything oh that makes god. it clear that you're talking to me. It's funny. Oh my god. How did I not send this to you guys? Oh, no. There was a, you know, Good Morning Britain, which is like the Today Show. Of, and it used to have Piers Morgan on it. Uh-huh. And they had a comedian on, a, a Scottish comedian, a great guy, actually. And they were talking about cancel culture. This was like a couple of days ago. And they also had a woman on who was uh, like African British and who had a very, very, very complicated last name. And they were talking about cancel culture, and she was like the most over the top, everything is racist kind of thing. And actually, like, ended the segment because she was shouting at the um, 
at the uh, uh, Scottish guy calling him a racist because he said... <laughs> He said that Boris Boris Johnson's joke when he was a writer for the Telegraph, he said Muslim women look like letter boxes in England because you got the slit. It's like it's a funny. It's like a good oh, image, right? Oh, it's wow. a good image, right? It's not. It's just it's a funny image, right? And he said that's a good line, and she freaked out. But the amazing thing is, you realize you're dealing with people who are disingenuous. But the host mispronounced her name and then stopped and said, "Let me try that again." And can you give me some assistance? And the woman just was like, like sounded out like really mad. What? Like you are, and it was like, yeah, it was like an like a name that I have never seen in my life. It's hard. Like, like why can you pronounce Smith? It's like because there's seven hundred of them down the street, and exactly. I've never seen this name before. <laughs> exactly. It's so bizarre. And like you realize that this woman is just the woman on the other side of this debate is just not reasonable from the get go. <laughs> she was just brutalizing this this poor woman for like mispronouncing her name. So, I wish she was like Camelli. I, you know? I, you know what? I, uh, it's not the only category from which I have learned from Camille and Camelli. Um, is what that like, um, you I know, uh, well, Camille. the one with the black crap or whatever, but like the, uh, yeah, the, yeah. every That's, pronunciation that cool is handshake correct. I showed once you, you once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> once you do I that, you. I mean, I'm, <laughs> Camille, the one you picked yet, up from like, sweet, sweet back. <laughs> He hasn't learned off me your how to not avoid like long lines at the rental car agencies. There's just some things that are impossible to do. That's but right. Um, That's right. No, like the, the idea that like avoid the, that, by the way, there's <laughs> no uh, there's no mispronunciation of an unusually smell uh, smelled and spelled and pronounced name. Yes. And then like you just let go of thousands of minutes of absolutely pointless bullshit. Yes. Yes. My name, by the way, is mispronounced. All the time, particularly in the Midwest, How? where they've never seen an How? Irish person. I, it's every time I go, and they're like, Mahmoud like, I'm like, Mahmoud Abbas. Is how you pronounce it. And then I'm just like, I don't care. Like, why would I care? I'm like, God, you hate Irish people. <laughs> utter butchering of my name. Matt Welch is really hard to fuck up. Well, Matt, Matt, speaking of Matt Welch, I'm interested in talking a little bit more about your experience here in the Bay Area where I still am. I know you've left, but you were here covering the recall election, which we talked a little bit about. And I I, I talked to um, Corey DeAngelis, who's an advocate for school choice. And we were talking yesterday about um, Arizona in the legislature. They have a piece of legislation that, if passed, would be a really huge for the school choice movement. And Corey was telling me that that some of the people who are the biggest obstacle to it are Republicans who have in the past torpedoed efforts to pass school choice in Arizona. But these same Republicans are people who have advocated for things like uh, critical race theory bans in the past, Mm -hmm. which is actually very interesting that in Arizona, you can have Republicans who publicly advocate for critical race theory bans and the very same Republicans oppose school choice efforts. I don't know how you do that, but some of the same people seem to be crediting the like anti-CRT, CRT ban movement with the success um, that is ha- occurred in San Francisco. And it seems to me that so, these are materially different projects, but you were on the ground, you were doing some reporting, you talked to a lot of the people who have been directly involved in this recall. 
Can Made you... the cover of the New York Post today, by the way. Oh, not Matt, just the recaller. No, not Matt. Okay. <laughs> I want to be sure. Yeah, him be being sure. pushed into a police car in San Francisco with Gabraham Lincoln. <laughs> Gabraham Lincoln is so fucking great. Um, I love and, that uh, Nancy wrote about him over at uh, Paloma Media, um, uh, like when she and I were talking to him, um, who's a, he was a guy, uh, just a way into the story, who is... Um, I was at the, we were at the recall, uh, you know, election watch party thing in the mission. And it was just sort of like nice, quiet people talking about things with sort of, you know, the local parents, activists in do-gooders. It was a, a, not a husband and wife, but a partner uh, uh, of people who are together in this sort of Brady Bunch family. She has three kids. He has two. She is uh, uh, uh uh, engineer, uh, software uh, engineer, uh, and he's an Indian immigrant and also has a, a startup and stuff. And he has two kids and um, great, wonderful, funny couple who lived, who live in a, uh, uh, this big house on hate street, which uh, hilariously the guy, was the, literally the right. guy was the guy who engineered Shirai, this, right? He, Shirai. Yeah, he was the guy behind it, right? I mean, the, they, they did it together. Uh, he was, yeah, he has yeah, a, yeah. a louder, but he's one of the key voice. kind of figures, right? Yeah, yeah. It's them too. They they did it, um, and yeah. so um, and progressive and, uh, people too, right? Uh, yeah. So uh, their politics. I mean, he he says he no longer describes himself as a pro- progressive after this process because he has been become so disillusioned with people using progressive talking points, especially as concerns race and uh, and kind of uh, equity and, and income inequality and yet seeing that um, they supported policies that really screwed over when you close schools for forever um, the people that are hurt most are people who are at the lower end of the income uh, scale in San Francisco who tend to be disproportionately also um, uh, racial minorities or whatever um, and uh, it drove him nuts and he's like I, I don't use that word anymore um, He's going to be a libertarian, I, I think, within 12 months if he's not um, already. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, because it's fascinating. It's but so Abraham Lincoln it's com- hard to say it. It's hard <laughs> to say it. Uh, Abraham Lincoln comes in pretty early in their process. So they, uh, it's, it was a couple who, and his kids were in SFUSD and her kids were in Los Altos, which is down in the valley a little bit more. Um, and uh, they, because uh, she's uh, divorced, um, and they, uh, uh, were open at a time that San Francisco was closed. And so they lived with this split reality that was based on no science at all. You know, plenty of places in the Bay Area were open, but San Francisco was closed and not just closed, but infuriatingly closed. Um, and this was like the the inflection point moment in all of this. So in, um, in uh, September and October of 2020, Right. The new school year opens up and there are plenty of places in uh, the Bay Area that open up in the public school system. Basically, all of the private schools open up. And it should be said, and listeners are are keen on reminding us of this, um, that most of the country opened up in September 2020. They just opened the schools because they had learned enough by now to know that kids were just miraculously not catching it and spreading it very much. And that it was a really in that the Zoom thing that happened and the pods or no, actually it was pre pods almost. But like it was just the distance learning was terrible. It was awful. We knew enough. Right. And we knew enough about the about what was happening in the rest of the world. Um, and so I asked a bunch of the parents who were at the recall thing, um, 
when did you become mad? And uh, they all said September and October of 2020 because the schools were closed. So this influenced this couple who had just moved in. They just moved together. They just did the Brady Bunch thing in December of 2020. And they hate across the street from where all my douchebag friends used to live in this big ramshackle, horrible house. Um, and uh, and they were just infuriated by this process. And it was right then. So the, the San Francisco uh, uh, school board uh, in November, I think, of 20. Uh, 20 said, okay, we're going to finally reopen in January 25th, which is one of the latest in the country. And to, to, you know, underline all this stuff, California and San Francisco specifically just didn't have a whole ton of COVID compared to a lot of other places. So not only is it uh, has less infection, um, but it has more closedness um, happening. And so people are going nuts. Uh, they say, okay, we're going to open in January 25th. But then they went and did nothing. And they were supposed to, you know, hire a consultant to do this, to make sure to and they negotiate with the unions, like do the things that you need to do to open by January 25th. They didn't do any of that. And it was right then that they decided to rename 44 schools, <laughs> including schools named after Abraham Lincoln and Thomas Jefferson and George Washington and Diane Feinstein and John Muir, you know, and the legendary environmentalist and a bunch of other people besides who are like misidentified as possibly racist or something. And it all happened at once. Everyone, their minds exploded. And that's what really gave the whole thing uh, its wings a year ago, basically in February, January, February of last year. <laughs> it's so funny to think back. <clears throat> And of course, this happens during COVID. I wonder if it would have happened without COVID. Is that when when they're re renaming these schools? And it was like San Francisco. I remember seeing this story at first, and some of them had been kind of reasonable over time. You know, like Jefferson Davis Highway in DC. I'm like, eh. <laughs> kind of the wrong side of an issue. You lost. You don't get the monument. So sorry. And then I'm like, so it must be in San Francisco. It must be like Mark Furman High School. And I'm like, wait, Lincoln? No, 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 no. Like maybe it wasn't freed the slaves. Is that that simple? But it's kind of true. Can we just go like, no, it's not. It's not the like, uh, you know, Roseanne Parr School. <laughs> it's just weird. I don't know. And and some of these people, to be to be clear, like the they renamed it because. Uh, the name of the person um, was associated with like someone who had a statue like that 20 years later was controversial in a different context. Like there were historical errors built in. The oh, Paul yeah, Revere, yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul Revere was one of them um, because Wait, they, he was, they, they went after Paul Revere. Yeah, they, they changed the Paul Revere was because horse he was racist. What was what was the deal with Paul Revere? I'm going to probably get this wrong because uh, it's not in front of me, but that he was that he was part of the. Penobscot campaign or something during during oh, the Revolutionary yeah. War, oh, God, yeah. um, which they misidentified yeah. as being part of the yeah. like the anti Penobscot Indian uh, wars. So that was like a bad, bad for yeah. the indigenous. But that was like not actually what he was involved with. Um, yeah. And there was one one of the three recalled um, uh, supervisors uh, did an interview with Isaac Chotner, who I think is based out here. Camille, have you yeah, run into Isaac? He's in yeah, Oakland. Okay. Yeah. Right. So he yeah. did, you know, Isaac Chotner is a guy you just like, if he says, Hey, Camille, I want to do an interview with you. you do, say Camille, no. Camille, yeah. what do you answer? It's baffling. It's baffling. Camille, what do you answer? You I don't answer, know why no. people do this. <laughs> just no. If he comes to I you, I think I asked Isaac this too, of like, how on earth do you slip <laughs> you know, Mickey's into their drink long enough for them to agree to like dive into the fucking wood chipper and everybody seems to do it. And Isaac, by the way, just a, a quick thing about, about Isaac. He sent me um, the last piece that he did on Vicky Ward, uh, the, the journalist who is, um, 
Hmm. Not terribly trustworthy, but the one she said that uh, Vanity Fair refused to publish her Jeffrey Epstein stuff. And, and you know what? Like Isaac was the only one that did a deep dive into that and was like, that's kind of not true. Um, it fit the narrative so well that there was so much complicity with Jeffrey Epstein, et cetera. And he did a great piece on that. So if you haven't read it, go, go read it. But uh, sorry to interrupt with a he, no, Isaac no, it's, uh, it's praise. a conversation, not a monologue. Uh, he, he's, he's super good. But he interviewed in February 2021, uh, I think the then vice president, or I, don't know, I forget what, um, uh, like trying to justify this. And he's like, yeah, OK, so this was wrong. And this was wrong, and this is wrong. And it's like, yeah, you know, the important thing is that people uh, from spaces they, they they need to be heard, and like it's yeah. this crazy jargon. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna I want to read to you just to give you a sense of things. The the cartoon villain who's the worst of the three supervisors, and I I can't stress enough like the level of dysfunction here. We're talking about a school district with 51,000 kids, which is pretty small. Like they don't have a lot of of participants. Uh, like it's a, one of the lower percentages of participants in the public school system for a lot of good reasons, probably. Um, and they uh, have a budget deficit of one hundred and twenty five million dollars. That's normal. <laughs> that, seems, that seems normal. So yeah. um, uh, one of the, uh, the, uh, the 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 worst person here, Allison Collins, her name was. Her name is still, I think. Um, uh, I, thought, I thought when she lost the recall, they shot her or something. <laughs> no, no, still her name. And, and as of two hours ago, she's still still tweeting about this this recall and the, the oh. monsters who funded it and the fact that Mitch McConnell oh, of is happy. It was probably which, Peter Thiel. You know, obviously, oh. Mitch McConnell had a lot to do with your tsunami defeat. Yes. But whatever. So she lost by like 78 to 21 or something. Uh, I forget yeah. what it was. Um and I'm going to say worse things about her in the near future, but I want to uh, just read out loud what her proposal was at the board two weeks ago, facing a recall, right? And I, there probably wasn't a lot of polling. No one really thought it was going to be this much of a drubbing, um, but it was an actual absolute drubbing. drubbing. So she introduced a, a, a thing at the, the, the board meeting called Equitable Representation and Services for Two-spirit, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, intersex, asexual, and then in, in parentheses, 2-S-L-G-B-T-Q-I-A plus. Wait, wait one second. I have to ask the question. <laughs> Who is the spirits? Why are there two of them? What is this talking? Like two spirit what is, is, is what is a fucking what is a two spirit? Two spirit Did we talk is, about is, this one time. To be clear, this is one word. I think we talked about this one time. One word, two capitalized letters, so the T and the S. Two spirit. Okay. What, so what is it? What? Oh fucking no! Equitable <laughs> representation. I'm sure it's important. What is a two spirit? I'm, I'm sure it's important. Tell to, me what that is first. I don't mean to this disparage. capitalization thing. I blame fucking bell hooks for this. Like, just do it the way Strunk and White says. Don't Equitable stop representation with me. and services for two spirit, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, intersex. What's the two? What's the two spirit? Again, in parentheses. Uh, look this up. Two S L G B. T yeah, I know what, I know what I you're reading. <laughs> plus in plus parents and families. All right. And this uh, proposal <clears throat> was to create a new position, um, uh, a new staff position costing like $220,000 a year um, to be part of this, uh, like a new parental uh, as a queer transgender parental advisory council um, that would cost $260,000 to launch and then $220,000 per year with, this is a, the, a place that has 125 
million dollar uh, budget deficit. And that budget deficit was was um, added to this year because this same board member sued um, the board that she works on for eighty seven million dollars this year. Or last year, mm. I should say, in 2020. Last year, 87. Man, she also sued four, I think, four, maybe five of the other board members. And there's only seven um, uh, because they sued. Uh, she sued them um, and the city uh, because they stripped her of being uh, the vice president of the board. When, when uh, these uh, tweets came out, they were resurfaced by political opportunists, to be clear. Uh, from 2016, in which she said that uh, uh, Asian Americans are too often using the um, um, the tools of white supremacy to get ahead, mm -hmm. and that they should realize. I bet, I bet Two Spirit people are doing that too. I don't know, and that, but I bet they're also. <laughs> she should real that, that Asian Americans should realize that this is a quote: House N four asterisk S are yeah. still just House. N for asterisks. Huh, what does that spell out, though? I'm not so, sure. I don't know what, you know what that You'll means. refer to people as house niggas, as though this is a real thing, but you will not use the word. No. I mean, yes, exactly. Like uh, the word is offensive, but huh. talking about but the no, word calling and someone a house nigga is totally not, fine. Yeah, no, it's totally yeah, it's fine. fine. <laughs> yeah, that's totally fine. Like I'm just it. not going to say it. You know, yeah. you n words over there. <laughs> you n words are up to no good, and that's the real problem with you n words. And again, I tell I'm you not what, saying I was the word. The I wouldn't say that. I would never I say that word. I can't these even n words. We're really just up to no good. What's I didn't say it? I'm fine. But but of course we're joking. What's I? What's actually acceptable is house n words. Once you once yes, you actually house attach house to it, that that compound. Dude, I, that's way, fine. I saw I saw one today. It's um, unbelievable. This is true. A house, I, a house I don't know if heard this. Wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's hilarious. Are you making a joke uh, about no, me? I, I don't like that. No, joke. no, no. I, I, okay. I saw one today, and uh. I'm looking at him right now on Zoom. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. I saw today the um, a, a new acronym. And the great thing about it is when you know your civilization has totally collapsed is when you just you know, introduce random acronyms and everyone's so afraid they just start using them and you can just make them up on the fly. I saw one today called APAC. Did you see APAC? No, What's what is APAC? APAC? I was Ameri like, I thought it was the place where conservatives went and made fools of themselves. American like Pacific APAC. Asian or something? A yeah, something like that. Asian Pacific American. Uh, I was going to say something else, but that's not. I don't know. It's Asian Pacific, whatever. That's it's in the thing. Is that it's in APAC, which I thought was was covered maybe by BIPOC, but it's apparently not. So we're literally drowning in LGBTQAI. Is there another one? There's plus, a plus two there's spirit. A plus in there, two spirit. Yeah. So the thing is, is what they're going to do. This is the plan. Is just to confuse you into conformity. Like I don't even understand what's happening anymore, and I'm just like, all right, fine. But it APAC, didn't work in San Francisco, DPAC, and that's actually super, <laughs> super interesting. And I, and I will say that um, my uh, sense, and I'm kind of you know smelling the socks at this point, um, um, but. The size, uh, I mean, it's just an absolute wipeout. Uh, the the lowest margin was 44 percentage points in San Francisco. And the thing, the great thing about a secret ballot is that there ain't no preference falsifications in the secret ballot. Yeah. It's just, yeah. this is what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, and 
so many people there's no bradley effect there so yeah. many people <laughs> brought up and and you know you, i think michael and you're setting this up and talking about uh crt stuff i never i haven't heard that word in in three days it didn't that was right. not ever part of that this. wasn't an was issue never in part california no. that's not what was being talked about whatever that other thing is whatever we want to call the broader campaign against crt where you you know throw sword emojis next to your name on twitter like that's very different than what has actually taken place here in San Francisco. And I think in, in many respects, what's taken place here in San Francisco is instructive to progressives broadly with respect to how their agenda is received and how well the particular strategy that they use of plastering everyone who dis disagrees with them as racist, how well that will actually work for you when your, your policies that are generally unpopular are combined with rank incompetence in execution and administration of the school system. Like the shit is going to fail. It's going to be a nightmare for you. And, and honestly, like the alternatives that you have available to you are not in a situation like San Francisco. Oh my God, either we ban CRT or, you know, it, it runs the schools forever. There was never a possibility of banning CRT here in San Francisco. Um, and no. that is the case in most of the places where you're going to see mo the most obscene manifestations of this stuff because teachers and activists feel particularly enabled, like in a Brooklyn, New York, for example. Um, but you can have a sweeping sea change where people usher out an entire cadre of, of political and institutional leadership in favor of people who are going to focus on things that parents actually give a shit about, who are not going to suggest that there being merit in public schools is inherently racist because we can't expect the Negro students to do particularly well if they're held to the same standards as their white or Asian counterparts. It's obscene, but that is the kind of stuff that Alison Collins was openly saying and it offended there, people. There, there, yeah. <laughs> and combined you know, there, with your an incompetence, how could you expect to stay yeah. in your job? There, there's an element of what we've discussed and I've discussed about the Joe Rogan thing of the presumption that if people hear this, they are going to be swayed by it and going to start eating ivermectin and all die mm -hmm. of COVID and they don't have critical thinking skills. And so 11 million people listening to Joe Rogan or 11 million sheep that uh, agree with whatever guest who you think is a crackpot who's come on. The, the version of that in the CRT thing is the presumption that if it's allowed to germinate, that everyone will be somehow convinced by it. And there's like, even in, and, and now the San Francisco thing was not about this, right? But at the same time, it is using the language of it. Mm -hmm. And to every person, even progressive people, and this is every person that I've spoken to who are not overwhelmed by ridiculous bullshit on Twitter, mm -hmm. sees this stuff and says, wait, what the fuck is wrong with you people? And I'm going to read you a tweet from Alison Collins. Now, this is not a tweet that offended me because I didn't know Alison Collins' Twitter. I just looked it up right now and I just scrolled for three seconds and I decided, it's like, you know, spinning a globe and putting your finger on it. I was like, this is where <laughs> I'm going to live. And this is a tweet that I stopped on from February 15th. It is now February 17th. So I imagine if I go back further beyond her hating on Asian people and using the N-word, um, <laughs> I think there's probably some pretty choice stuff in there to choose from. This is the tweet. Two S-L-G-B-T-Q-I-A plus comma, disabled Native American, Black, Latinx, Asian American, Jeez. Arab, 
in low income students deserve to go to schools free of hate and discrimination. Um, that's covering a lot of people. Creating policies that eradicate violence against them is not a distraction from academics. That is a dog whistle. Now, the average person that tries to decipher this tweet that honestly looks like something that the Enigma machine captured <laughs> from the Nazis and is trying to decode, 2SLGBTQIA+. It's like, I just cracked your password. Disabled, Native American, Black, Latinx, Asian American, Arab, and low-income students, comma, and then there's the sentence. Imagine thinking like this. Imagine that this is the way you actually process information and the issues that are, you know, governing or threatening or whatever, however you want to frame it, our, our children um, in school. This is madness. And people look at this stuff and you don't need people to ban Joe Rogan. You don't need people to go in and, and you know, be some interloper conservative activist to say in San Francisco, this stuff is bad for you. The average human looks at this stuff and says this woman is insane. She's an insane person. I'm like, I mean, look at her tweets and it's like this person lives. I mean, this might have might as well be an Albanian. This is not a language that any normal human being speaks. Expose people to, to, to enough of this stuff and they think it's crazy. The only way that these people win with this stuff is threatening you with calling you names and ism and ist or whatever it might be. And to keep you back and say, I, I might be called this if I object to it. Now, a majority of the people that I know think that, right? They actually are scared of that. But the majority of people I know of different political backgrounds read a tweet like that and start pissing their pants laughing. And they say, it looks like the first thing with the acronym it looks like she fell asleep on the keyboard and got up was like LG5. There's like numbers and like, what is this woman talking about? If you have an honest debate about these things and think that you're, you're, Ideas are, are worth a damn. You're willing to engage them, debate them, etc. If you know that they're kind of, you know, subconsciously know that this is wild extremism, your response is not to debate it, but to say anybody who is objecting to this might be the people that I'm warning you about. The white supremacist, the neo-Nazi, the transphobe, the homophobe, etc. We've had enough of this at this point that people are seeing through it. We don't buy this shit anymore. Nobody buys this shit anymore. The people who listen to this podcast and we, we, you know, we take a lot of positions that are different than, you know, one particular ideology or another. And I think a lot of people listening to this one tonight would be like shaking their fists about, you know, in favor of CRT bands and everything. But we have people who listen to this podcast that email us, you know, tweet at us, send us direct messages. And they really do. This is actually where I come to this conclusion. It's being out in the field reporting. And this podcast of people from all over the political spectrum saying, wow, what the fuck is wrong with these people? <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, I know you. You're supposed to line up with their ideology. And they're like, no, 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 no. I work at X newspaper, X television channel, whatever yeah, it might yeah. be, what you would expect. And I'm like, oh, oh, oh. So see, here's the thing. Because I'm on Twitter and everyone's so afraid to say anything, I think that all of you people believe the same thing, but you don't. And you're not going to tell us, but now it's time to, to be brave and call bullshit because there is actually a, a bit of cushion for you at this point. Because if it happens in San Francisco and you get put on the cover of the New York Post and Matt does some good reporting on this stuff, that's not a victory just to walk away from and say, oh, that was cool. It's to kind of seep into your brain a little bit and say, I think people are fed up with this stuff. Shivarai. The real crazy stuff. I don't think the, like, the normal stuff is like people will still march with BLM protests in the sense that they think that, 
you know, killing police killing people is bad, right? I think that the, the where they want to take this, which is five steps beyond that, is has, has kind of reached its, you know, zenith. I think it's time to, I think it's kind of trending in the other direction. Shivarai and Autumn Lu, Lujan, I can't pronounce the last name, um, uh, just in general. Um, uh, Shiva, who's first ever, because he's an immigrant and like you don't, immigrants yeah. keep their nose to the grindstone. They don't want to get involved in politics. His first political act was marching in a BLM rally. Right. Um, uh, but or, or, or otherwise didn't want to deal with it. But they both talked very expressly about how the um, the immediate knee jerk being called a racist was hard for is, them. But also yes. they've been involved enough with online communities and trolls that it was like, OK, I can deal with this. I will say, fuck you, basically right in the front and then move on and not like dwell on it, not be defensive, not post an Instagram video, like reflecting yeah. about your past or anything like that. And they were, and this is a, talking to them on Monday, the day before the recall election, they're like, you know, this process has allowed more and more people um, <clears throat> who are not public speakers to lose their fear of being called publicly a racist because yeah. it's just, it's yeah. like a wet noodle at some point, like it stops uh, having its effectiveness, which is very interesting. And he says one other thing that it's, I think it's going to stick with me um, in reporting and trying to think about stuff going forward quite a lot. Um, and this is uh, sort of from his Indian uh, background um, uh, saying that wealth gives you insulation buys you insulation from government failure, right? Yeah. Wealth, um, and, and this is another thing that's cribbed from Ethan Strauss, but I'm happy to just steal it, um, uh, where he's inverting the don't look up thing. Um, uh, is actually like the way to think about it is, is uh, no, don't look down, right? Like wealth gives you enough money that you can buy out of the, the public school system so you don't have to worry about it. The last two days in San Francisco, which is a city I love, to the point that I might like cry even talking about how beautiful it is and how important <laughs> it is to a Californian. It, and it's, it's just gorgeous. It's a wonder. No, it really is. It, it was the very sunny. And so it wasn't as bad as it, as it could be, but like the bridges and the bay mm -hmm. and these houses and these hills and all this kind of stuff. And you walk around. Um, if you look up, keep your eyes at the second floor. Um, and you're presuming that your life is good and you can buy yourself out of dysfunction um, I can understand why no one ever knows that there's a two LGB, two QI, five, or even a hundred and twenty-five million dollar budget deficit at the local school system. It's like fuck it, I can buy myself out of this. I don't have to worry about it, right? Mm -hmm. But the pandemic, especially in schools, and I've bored people enough about this, and I'm sorry a little bit about it, but I'm also like I kind of predicted some of the shit, right? So listen to me. Um, the pandemic ripped that <laughs> insulation out for Biden. public school. Uh, thank you, uh, mm -hmm. parents. And like suddenly you had to notice were the takeovers that happened in local institutions. And the takeovers were a lot of these people who had been speaking this language to one another, an elite in-group language of woke nonsense that mm. could exist with a community of 117 people who are just like divvying up the money amongst themselves or whatever the political patronage amongst, amongst themselves. But then when you finally see it face to face, because you have to, because your kid can't fucking go to school, uh, mm. Or that you're noticing something that, that like now is bothering you. You look down and you see that the street is filled with homeless people shooting up. Although I didn't see a whole lot of that in San Francisco, thank God, this last time. Um, mm. Then suddenly it's unbearable 
to hear them yammer on with all this fucking indecipherable lingo. And this is not just people who are libertarian or conservative or independent or non-democrat. This is Democrats. The Democrats were able to not look down. They were able to buy themselves out of the system until they weren't until it affected them and they they noticed that there had been this rot this institutional takeover that i think is potentially the story of kind of what happened this week in san francisco and it's weird and kind of big and i think it's gonna i i'm but my betting markets right now is Chase Boudin is going to get his ass handed to him um, in well, June look, or whenever the, that happens. The, the, there is one thing that I'll finish up on this conversation with a very simple thing that nobody's uh, thought about on their side of this crazy debate is that there is a limit to the number of people that you can call these names. Right. There's and it always reminds me of a long time ago. There was a total prick named Jamie Kilstein, a comic, um, lefty comic, who had a podcast. And he used to attack our friend Eli Lake all the time. He used to attack everybody. He was a real just oh, yeah, jerk yeah. off on, on, on Twitter and, and in his own podcast. And then they came for him. And he had a rethink about the whole thing. And it's been fairly interesting about it, you know, and has spoken quite openly about it. And, you know, the, the, the kind of culture that he helped create in the podcast and in his own Twitter account, which was quite popular back in the day. It's kind of it's disappeared. Um, and then they came and tore him apart. And I see this from so many people in the city. And it's just not, they're not big things. They're not publicized things. There'll be something in a meeting where somebody says, like, that's like, you know, you're indulging white supremacy by saying, like, can we go get coffee now or something? Some just banal comment that somehow, because somebody is so ideologically determined in this climate to turn everything to their advantage. And knowing that they don't have to actually debate these issues, they can just use the words, use the lingo, throw it out there, and they know that you're on your heels. Imagine that. It's like a it's like the the it's like the super punch and, and Mike Tyson's punch out. You just fucking, you know, a, a little key combination and the person's like staggering on their back heels and you don't actually have to do anything. And that happens to enough people that it comes to this point where everyone, regardless of ideology, gets really, really tired of it. And that is increasingly what I'm seeing. And I think maybe I'm being a little too optimistic about this stuff, but I don't, it doesn't surprise me when the people who send us messages or who I talk to say the things that they say, it doesn't surprise me now. It surprised me two years ago. Um, and it would happen two years ago. But after the, all these people have been on the other end of not only being, being accused of something, that's something different, right? That's the sort of Kilstein thing. And I don't know if he's guilty of whatever he's accused of. It, it appears not. But it's just being in the environment where people say, don't, you cannot respond to this. You cannot say, you cannot respond to this in a meeting where if somebody says, this is what we're going on about today, which has nothing to do with our business, nothing at all. But we're going to sit here in like an, an, an almost kind of slavishly Soviet way and, you know, indulge some shithead who's being paid $25,000 an hour to tell you how you're garbage and you're, if you're not doing what I say, you're not opposed to racism, right? You, that you're not an anti-racist. It's the Ibram X. Kennedy thing. If you're not, like, that's a, like, it's the most sinister way of thinking. And the fact that somebody like him has been welcomed into the discourse in the sense of like, academia, I understand at BU, that's what they, that's what they do. But like at the Atlantic, people like this, like mainstream organizations, it's like, you realize that the guy's argument is, if you don't agree with me, you're effectively a racist, right? I mean, that's 
not an oversimplification. That is literally what, and that was, you know, what, what you know, Kalefe uh, Sano, who wrote this fantastic piece about, about the book uh, before it blew up. I mean, he was just giving an honest review before it, like, you had to love the book in The New Yorker. And it was like, this is kind of a crazy way of thinking. And um, that is where we are now. And I think that so many people, that this has totally been removed from this idea of politics. And the one thing I'll f finish on, which is a bit depressing, is that the people who have been calling this stuff out really have to watch their self now because they're doing a really, really bad job of it. What do you mean? An example today, a couple of people had tweeted, um, my friend Isabel Young, who is, you don't want to be on the other side of a debate with her or an interview. She's a vice correspondent, British woman, uh, British Chinese from Hong Kong. And, you know, you see her interview Chinese officials and, you know, in their native language. And she's very, she's a pit bull. And she had a piece where she was interviewing people from the Taliban, this guy from the Taliban. And she was like, brutalizing them about about um, the treatment of women. There were multiple people. Kathy Young actually pointed this out today. I tweeted it. And I saw a number of other people saying like, oh, here comes this like woke woman coming into Afghanistan <laughs> to like say, you know, what was the one tweet that Kathy retweeted? It was by that Richard Hanania guy, whatever that guy is, who right. I don't know who he is, but mm -hmm. he's like, you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah I know Richard. And, yeah, and he was like, you know, one person wants to impose their will on everybody and the other person just wants to live their life kind of thing. And like the, the, the impose the will was Isabel for saying this, this stuff. And it was like, look at how woke she's being. And it's like, I'm sorry, what? The woman asking about human rights in Afghanistan is being woke? <laughs> Are you serious? Like, I'm not joking. This is literally how it was interpreted. And I'm not saying this because she's a friend of mine uh, and I really respect her and, and, and Isabel's great. It was literally, wow, you guys have gone around the fucking bend. Like, don't go the other direction because the other people are waiting for us. The normal people are like thinking this stuff is crazy. And then they see people like you are like on the side of the fucking Taliban. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Asking about women's rights and you think I'm being over the top? Look it up. I, I promise you I'm not. It was so jarring to me that this was being framed in this kind of, and it was that woman who was like the former Miss New Jersey too, who's like a kind of Trump person or something, did the same sort of tweet about how she was woke. And I was like, yeah, I guess asking people not to flog women in public and, uh, you know, perform like horrible operations on their nether regions for religious, you know, so-called religious practice. That's apparently what I, I missed that one. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I'll send it to you. It's fucking wild. I was like, I was watched the clip and I was like waiting for them to drop. <laughs> and I didn't. But anyway, yeah, we're winning in the debate that isn't ideological, that it is sensible. It is people that are larding your timeline in your ear canals with endless fucking new acronyms are losing because they're insane and everyone knows it. The, the problem was not that people didn't know it before. They always knew it, but they didn't want to say it. Now people are saying it a little more and I encourage them to say it even more because it's fucking ridiculous. Yeah. You can cut all that, Camille, if you want. No, yes, I, I, I don't want to cut it. I don't want to cut it. Um, but we probably do. At least we probably do we have should. to jump soon, or at least I yeah, do. Because I, I got to catch a plane Let's tomorrow jump. night, and I got a bunch of other stuff yeah. to do today. But it's, it's good to be to be back with you guys um, again. Yeah. And in person soon. Yes, in person very soon. Although before very that soon. happens, a wonderful joy is about to come into my life. Very soon, That's right. yeah. I will will be. You're getting divorced. A double daddy. No, <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think so. 
Um, and if, if we do get divorced kids, you need to know that it is your fault that you caused it. Everything was fine before you got here. And I mean, to the extent there's even any concern about the possibility, it's probably because of the, the imminent arrival of my, of my son. Um, now I finally have an heir, a child I can truly love. Yes. Someone who yes. also has testicles just like daddy. Yes. That is not true. The throne uh, is his. <laughs> that is not you true. You better. Um, I want to hear a spectacularly I, inappropriate name. That's all. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're, we're working yeah. on it. We're, we're having the arguments, the debates as married mm-hmm. couples do. Um, I am not going to say anything publicly about it, except I love my wife. And I hope that we can reach an agreement so that our son doesn't have to endure like a full I, I, I year will say this. of I, having no name. I'm on her side. And one thing, I do think that Adolf is a bad name. <laughs> I think it's been tainted. I just think it's been tainted. I, think, I don't know. I think we Rothbard could take it also back. not. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. think we could take it back. Did I tell you yeah. that I, Murray, I tried? Murray's a bit, a bit Semitic for you. I, when we got Jamaican. the dog, when we got the dog, I desperately wanted to name him Spooner. Like after Lysander Spooner, mm, like Lysander, that was the yeah, whole thing. Yeah, yeah. And my wife, yeah. she vetoed it. She would not allow it. And instead he, the dog is Knoxville, who we just call yeah, Knox, yeah. which, yeah. you know, the only challenge yeah. that I have is that people all often think that I'm calling Nas, like the dog is Nas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, come on now. That's just a little too much. It's too on the nose. That's um, racist. Anyways. People think that. Um, we should probably. It's also, by the way, yeah. don't try to get back at her. Like, I know you're mad about the dog thing you talked about it before. <laughs> Do not try to get back there and say, like, I'm just going to call the boy Strom. That's not a name that I think you should go with. I just don't. I mean, I have opinions. I, I just kind of sounds almost now. presidential. Almost presidential. Um, weirdly, like like Adolf and Strom are not. They should be, we should take them back. I agree. It's like taking the N-word back. We just give the baby then, both names. Then it'd be, it'd yeah, be clear. I Strom, mean, Adolf, yeah. Fox. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that'd be the best that'd be um, so funny like oh gosh yeah. <laughs> there's so much there's so much stuff we didn't get to this week um my hope is that uh the ukraine situation will hold for another week and, and we won't be in a full-blown conflict by next week because we didn't talk about it at all and um, we also didn't talk about the durham um filing which uh which landed and made like interesting non-waves in certain circles really big waves in other circles but uh yeah we'll talk about that another time oh, all right God. bye 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 we know of new methods of attack the trojan horse